the way that we are relating to our dogs, the way that we um, set them up, the way that we feed them, the way that we nurture them, the way that we nourish them or lack thereof, the way that we're communicating with them um, is is really uh, at, I would say, an all-time low um, yeah. as far as how we, the, the reverence and the respect and the admiration and the value that we really need to be putting forth um, in relationship with, with these extraordinary animals who, um, quite honestly, you know, if it wasn't for the presence of canines in the human experience, we would be very far devolved from where we are. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today's guest is Sasha Armstrong, whom Paul calls the Dog Shaman. Sasha is the founder and creator of the Canine State of Mind program, which educates dog owners how to build stronger, mutually respectful relationships with their dogs through body language and energetics. By observing wolves and researching the ancestry of the domesticated dog, Sasha discovered her innate ability to understand their language and deeply connect with them. Mastering her craft for more than 20 years, Sasha has helped over 1,000 dog owners meet the needs of their dog by bridging the communication gap between human and canine. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and a warm review at the top of the show page on Spotify or at the bottom of the show page if you are listening on Apple Podcast. Your opinions matter and your ratings help us to grow and help more people to be healthy, find freedom of body and mind and to live their dreams. We hope you enjoy Paul and Sasha's conversation today. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Living 4D. Today, I have a very interesting topic. We're going to be talking to the dog shaman, Sasha Armstrong. And Sasha's attended some of my workshops, but a while back, her brother, her brother Sevi, how do you say Sevi's last name? Mangrum. Sevi Mangrum came to me and whispered in my ear and said, Paul, you know, I know you like interesting podcast guests. He goes, my sister's had some very unique abilities since she was a child. She can communicate with animals, and I think you might find her really interesting. I said, well, introduce me to her. <laughs> so that's how I got introduced to Sasha. So, Sasha, welcome to Living 4D. Thank you, Paul. It's welcome. an honor to be here. Cool. I was really excited to put this together because when you and I met, a lot of the concepts that you felt were important, I think, are important too. And as I mentioned to you, you know, I've been with animals my whole life being raised on a farm and sheep dogs and you know working animals and and uh being you know being raised on a farm you're always with animals and i used to have great friendships with the pigs they were my favorite i love pigs i used to ride them as kid as a kid they would try to throw me off they would spin in circles real fast and me and my friends would have competitions so you could stay on the pig the longest we used to wrestle with the rams, grab them by the horns, and see who could last the longest before you got slammed against the wall or <laughs> butted. <laughs> but uh, having that background and uh, also having our own dogs now, which was a real treat for me because I was allergic to dogs. So when I got to talk to you, you know, having that background with animals, I really could connect to the things you were sharing. But I thought I'd start off by just asking you, you know, I understand this, but I think a lot of people may not. What is a dog shaman? First and foremost, being a canine behaviorist and understanding um, how dogs 
um, th- their needs, their their mental process, their um, just understanding them as a as a being, as as a species, um, and also how they function within our relationships that, yeah. that they have with humans. Um, and so, going beyond that, um, it it's a for me it's it's specializing in the optimization and the healing of the human to canine bond and connection which uh over you know the time that we've spent with them which is a it's an ancient partnership it's really old right and yes. and most everybody says oh i've i've grown up with dogs or i've raised dogs or i've bred dogs or i've trained dogs or you know that everybody has um Dogs have never been void of the human experience. You know, the way that we are relating to our dogs, the way that we um, set them up, the way that we feed them, the way that we nurture them, the way that we nourish them or lack thereof, the way that we're communicating with them um, is is really uh, at, I would say, an all-time low um, yeah. as far as how we... The, the reverence and the respect and the admiration and the value that we really need to be putting forth um, in relationship with with these extraordinary animals who, um, quite honestly, you know, if it wasn't for the presence of canines in the human experience, we would be very far devolved from where we are at this point. So, mm. you know, going back to to the roots, going back to the beginning, um, you know, this is, uh, they were the original teachers, you know, when we talk about the roles that, um, that, that canines served in, uh, in, 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 ma- in man's experience and their life on earth, um, they were the ones that taught us how to communicate and be intuitive and instinctual and raise a family and how to hunt and um, the best places to hunt, the best places to house a family and to to kind of keep territory. Um, the The human was watching and observing the highly civilized uh, communication systems that wolves displayed and that you know, then turned into more domesticated crossbred dogs were displaying. And we thought, wow, that we really have a lot to learn here. There's a lot that that we can can model after and and take that into our 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 ways of being so that we can be successful. Because when it comes down to it, dogs are focused on one thing and one thing only, and that's survival. When you're surviving, you're successful. And if and if you're not in that state of thriving, if you're not in that state of of you know keeping the pack alive, which means that you're successful, well, there's not much gray area there. You know, yeah. y- you die. Mm-hmm. And I think that for humans, um, you know, that was something at that in that time um, in in evolution and, and that at that stage of of where that relationship was at, uh, it, it was so humans recognize that there it was very black and white it was live or die um thrive and sur- survive um or you know there's breakdown and chaos and then um the family unit or the life or the pack uh, disassembles and yeah. and dies off i think you know just in my own mind looking back on my own thoughts of dogs I know for sure they would have helped us many times when we were lost and didn't mm-hmm. know what, you know, how to get back to where we were trying to get to. I know they've protected us 
millions and millions of times. Um, and I know today, well, they, they also helped us find food because they're hunting animals. But I know today there would be a lot higher suicide rates if people didn't have dogs in their life. Correct. Can you share how it is that you grew into being a dog shaman and having this deep connection and understanding of of dogs and animals? I know that I was born to do the work that I do. It was something that was just innate in me from a very small child. Um, It's definitely in my lineage. It's um, being uh, very closely connected to my Native American ancestry, which, you know, was very tied to uh, animals, spirit animals, being very um, psychically, intuitively connected to them. That was something that was passed down to me from my father. Mm. Um, And it was, thankfully, even though I grew up in downtown Chicago, um, I was exposed um, to animals. I got to have those incredible uh, connected relationships with them um, from the time I was, you know, laying on the on the changing table where mm-hmm. my dog was sitting up there with me, and um, you know, and and being able to to be connected to horses from a very young age. Um, I've been, you know, riding and and experiencing life with them since I was five years old. Mm, that's and great. Being an inner city kid, you know, that's kind of a rare. Um, it is. A rare situation, um, but I was very blessed um, that uh, my family created that that experience for me, um, and so just always, even um, you know, from a very again a very young age, just always knowing that I just had an a knowing there was just something an inherent. I, I felt like I could understand where what they were thinking and what they were feeling and where they were at and what they were communicating, um, and. And and so much, I guess, differently than most people. Yeah, or even just how I would understand a human. Oh. Um, so it was very much on that level. Um, and then, you know, as I, it, it was very apparent into my teenage years that uh, whatever you know, whatever path I was kind of guide, whatever fork in the road I was going to go on, whether it was going to, to fine art school um, or, you know, instead, no, I'm going to study wolves, you know? Mm. So, um, yeah. So and it's just every kind of choice that I've had on my path of where I was going. Um, it, it was always geared towards the study and un- an understanding and the development of my methodology um, of, of not only, creating the best, most extraordinary, wildly vibrant, healthy existence for dogs, but bridging the gap uh, between the human and, and canine relationship. So it's not only about enhancing the dog's life, you have to enhance the human's life in order to get to the dog. Mm. Um, and that was something that was very apparent to me uh, in my teenage years where you know everybody is seeing my you know, the way that I was with, with, with their dogs and people were just coming out of the woodwork, you know, oh, my dog is very troubled. My dog has this, send him to Sasha, you know, get him. But it didn't matter so much what I could do with the dog. It wasn't so much about what, what I was going to change and transform in the dog's life or within their behavior. Cause as soon as the dog would go back to the human, mm-hmm. Lo and behold, the same 
challenging behaviors would would reappear, mm-hmm. right? Because the communication was not in its ideal format. Right. It wasn't, you know, there was a there was a breakdown, there was a barrier. And so um, you know, the the development of my methodology was it was clear that it had to be first and foremost focused on educating the human um, and not just to train your dog. This has nothing to do with dog training. Yeah, a lot of a lot of people try to train their dogs because I honestly don't think most people have another concept to work with. It's you know, I think the relationship that humans have with their dogs is more like they have with machines. Mm. It's like, you know, I've got to reprogram my computer so it behaves for me or um it's it's not doing what I want it to do. So it's like a, a machine that's broken. So I got to take it to Sasha, the mechanic, and she'll fix my dog. Most people have heard the saying that dogs are man's best friend, which I think we all intuitively know. But I'm curious, can you give us a little background in the history of of the relationship between man and dog and how that developed? Sure. So, you know, again, going back to the basics, right? Going back to the beginning, it was a very mutually beneficial connection. And that was clear for both species, right? What were we doing for them? I'd be interested to know. You know, one, once we were able to model after the behavior and the the fine hunting skills of a wolf, right? Mm-hmm. Then based off of our tools and and the ways that we were able to show up and and bring down a kill maybe much quicker, um, you know, that provided a more of a resource for our dogs, um, for the wolves that, you know, they, they realized that, okay, maybe we can help each other out here and you might be able to alert me of a perceived danger because your sensory systems, whether it's your hearing or your olfactory abilities, like surpass humans by light years. And that was something else that humans realized. If we make friends with this, this noble beast, Mm -hmm. then they can be our greatest allies. Um, You know, they can show up as the protector. They can be the alarm bell when there's imminent danger and we can get them on our team Mm -hmm. if we can provide a more constant, dependable source of food, which, you know, I always say for dogs, food is number two because without ideal hierarchy and a, a ideal system of the alpha understanding within a pack dynamic, the, the pack is not able to access and source and bring down food um, in its ideal way. So when people say, oh, you know, food's most important to a dog, no, hierarchy is. A dog understanding who is running the show, who is leading the pack, who who is acting, who is fulfilling the leadership roles. That there is going to pretty much secure that the pack will be fed and the pack will will absolutely survive. So that was that was at the beginning of that initial, you know, that offering, that exchange between the two species of, okay, I think that we can work together here. I think that we, you know, with your abilities and gifts and with what we can bring to the table, um, you know, this is a partnership that, uh, like any any partnership that we have, right, mm-hmm. in any of our interpersonal partnerships, it's like, 
how long do they last? How healthy and vibrant are they if it's not mutually beneficial? Just from observing our dogs, Samson's the black labradoodle that you met. He's he he was about close to a year old when we got Teddy, our great Pyrenees, and Teddy was I don't know how many weeks, maybe eight weeks old. He was just a stocky, chubby little white ball of fuzz. And um, so Samson's clearly in the alpha male role. Like he he can outsmart Teddy right now. Sometimes though, Teddy mm. Teddy's pretty, show, he's showing some pretty <laughs> tricky abilities. I've been watching, you know, carefully. Yeah. Like, you know, Samson likes to bully him sometimes and Teddy's smart enough to know there's certain places if he goes like under the TV, our, our big TV sits on a coffee table and Samson can't fit under it. <laughs> so Teddy goes under there and Samson can't get in there. So right? he's like frustrated. But, t- you know, Teddy is probably going to be between 120 and 180 pounds when he finishes growing. And he's already, he's, he's almost, I think he's five months old and he's already weighing as much as Samson. Yeah. I think Samson weighs 65 pounds and Teddy weighs 65 pounds Mm -hmm. and he eats twice as much as Samson. I mean, (laughs) you'll eat Samson's food and his and want more. But the question is, is that I'm curious in your observation, can the alpha role switch? Like I suspect that it's not going to be long. Samson's not going to get away with bullying Teddy and not pushing him around and trying to control him. I I have a feeling that the tables are going to turn and Teddy's got instincts in him that Samson doesn't have. Because even when Teddy was little and Samson was a lot bigger, he would hold Teddy down and like bully him. Mm-hmm. And I've seen a couple of times when Teddy a switch flips in him and he pushes him off. And even as a little puppy, he would just jump and bite him on the neck and, and fight back like with real ferociousness. Like, yeah. Like it shocked me the first time I saw it. I went, mm. wow, there's killer instincts in that dog that are just not in <laughs> Samson. So I'm curious, yeah. can that alpha male role switch or is it more of a psychological thing for the dog? Yeah, it's such a beautiful question. Um, so uh, within different chemistries of the pack dynamic, which make up the personalities of the pack, and that's mm-hmm. not just the dogs, that's that's the whole family, mm-hmm. that's the children, that's, you know, that's the, the parental, uh, the lead male females, right, in the pack dynamic. And so dogs naturally, regardless of at what stage or what phase, if there's multi-dogs in the pack, um, depending on really like how things are calibrated, um, it changes, right? So as Teddy develops, he may be the more dominant male that absolutely could transpire. Mm. But what I would say is that neither one of them believe that they're the alpha male. It's more of that one may be dominant over the other. But what is most important is that, Paul, you, as we, and we know, you're (laughs) the in my opinion, <laughs> the definition of an alpha male, um, but truly, you know, and I say that I do not use that that term loosely. Yeah, I understand what because you mean. it's a true embodiment, and mm-hmm. we're, we'll get into this as well as talking about the the human version of what an alpha is, um, and and how we perceive that to be, and and what a a wolf 
or a canine or a dog views and understands a true alpha to be. Very different characters. Mm-hmm. Very different, very different energy systems that are present in that role. So it's most important that in order for the two dogs or for any dogs, but especially because you have two male dogs, your role, the the role that you fulfill within the family pack ideal function needs to be solidified. And that way... The two male dogs are able to have a a piece and a non compete. Basically, it it you're able to align things in such a um, in such a structured way that there's a clarity around the fact that they are know that they're best fit to be lower ranking males within your pack dynamic. Mm. That is most important for their confidence, for their happiness and contentment, and respect and responsiveness to you. So when the human who is best fit to fulfill the alpha leadership roles in the pack dynamic, when that is fulfilled, you're allowing the dogs to naturally like just blend into where they're supposed to be in a peaceful way versus when the hierarchy is misaligned and nobody knows who's the alpha male or the alpha female it's chaos. Mm-hmm. And then you get a lot of competition. You get jockeying for rank. You get, you know, possession issues. You get reactivity. You get inner, inner pack fighting because it's chaos. Everything is up for grabs. There's not a natural order or structure that creates that, that true peace and, and clarity of understanding, which is the most important, crucial element for, you know, for a dog. I think, too whether it be humans or dogs, I think historically that's why the alpha male has to establish his position. You, you know, you, you can't do it intellectually. You you know, if you look in nature, you see that there's a real serious process going on. Like whoever the silverback gorilla is, a lot of people tried to take it from him and they keep trying and, you know, he holds that position as long as he can hold it. And with dogs and, and, and men and, you know, even women have their own little dynamics going on whenever you get like a team of girls together, such as sports athletes. Or exactly. You see the, 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 the hierarchy. Yeah, the jockeying. And mm-hmm. years ago, I was reading, uh, I think it was a book, and it was talking about how human beings structure, and they showed there was five positions um, starting from the alpha, and then they had shown how each of these positions has a specific role. And they s- had done studies, and they even had studies on Navy SEALs. And, you know, they could take five alpha males and put them together, and they showed that in a very short time, even though they were five alpha males, that within the group of the five, if, like, because they were the leaders of their own packs, but when you put them together, they would figure out very quickly who was the actual alpha now and who was number two, three, four, and five, and and that the dynamic would sort itself out. So I think there's something maybe built into our psychic structure that maybe is at play there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I always say alphas are born, Mm. not made. So in nature, it's not something that's constructed. 
it's literally from the beginning. It's a, it's an embodiment. It's just, it's, it's almost a, a soul, <laughs> a soul code, you know, it's just what, what is inherently in that being, in that soul. And, and it's very, you know, living and, and working with wolves for, you know, over two decades. Um, I clearly can see, of course, even in a young, pup, a litter of pups, you know, it's so clear, not every litter is going to have a true alpha because mm-hmm. true alphas are also very rare to come by. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you, you see that in inherently in that animal from the get-go. It's not something that is learned. It's not something that is necessarily like fostered. It's just, it just kind of is the way that it is. There's a saying I teach all of my students. The pain is seldom where the actual problem is. For example, I've seen many cases of rotator cuff problems that wouldn't heal even after surgery. But what most doctors and therapists overlook is that the right shoulder is under influence from the liver and the left shoulder the stomach. Once we apply the principles of detoxification, support digestion, and clear parasites, presto, shoulders start healing and working beautifully again. If you learn to see people holistically, like I teach my students in Holistic Lifestyle Coaching Level 1, you begin to see the true source of our illnesses and injuries. HLC 1 teaches you many essential approaches to health and well-being, such as how to assess what key body systems are under too much stress and how to restore balance, the importance of identifying a realistic dream goal or objective that inspires each individual to stick to their healing program and make the short and long-term changes that are necessary, my universally applicable 1-2-3-4 formula for assessing and correcting challenges, how to breathe optimally to enhance energy levels and mental clarity, how to use gentle movements to work in and enhance life force energy and support optimal immune function, how the function and health of the soil that food is grown in influences all systems of the body, including our mental-emotional stability, and much more. HLC1 is just a small part of what we teach our Czech Academy students, our education system for elite trainers and health professionals. Gavin Jennings and I designed the academy to take you from wherever you are right now, even if you have no fitness or health education, to being one of the best holistic health and performance professionals on this planet. And as a Czech Academy student, you'll be able to help a lot of people reach their health goals in ways you never imagined. There is, in my opinion, nothing more rewarding and meaningful in life than helping other people look, feel, and live better. We are now accepting applications into the Czech Academy, so whether you're wanting to change your career or add a truly effective new dimension to your current skill set, now is the time to apply. Go to chekinstitute.com forward slash L number 4D Academy. That's chekinstitute.com forward slash L4D Academy. Let's make the world a better place together. It's not just pure brute strength or the ability to beat the other dogs up or even the other humans up. I think the alpha is a rare combination of physical ability, but also um, intelligence. Because if you're alpha physically, but you're not intelligent, you'll get a lot of people killed. Correct. And that's why the alpha shows up in all of the many aspects of their pack, their responsibility to their pack survival. You know the 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 leading female, the leading male in that partnership. You know, two alphas when they be, when they join up, they become monogamous for life unless one dies. 
So, you know, when, um, when the, the alpha emerges into their role, they are leading, they're at the top of their game in all aspects of life. They're the best fit to protect the backpack from danger. Mm. They are the most intelligent. They're the most sensitive. They're the most reasonable. Um, They're the sharpest. They're the keenest. In all areas, they're showing up right as the one's best fit to lead the pack. Now, I love that you bring up the structure because when you look at a, when you look at a corporation, when you look at a family, when mm. you look at a pack of wolves, when you look at uh, a pack of humans and dogs and reptiles and and felines, you know, when you look because we can have all different a, a variety of different uh, species within a pack structure. Every member of that pack serves a vital crucial role in the success. So everybody has a very important placement for the betterment of that pack. And whether it's the alphas or the next in rank, which are the betas, uh, the beta male, the beta female, I call them the aunt and the uncle of Mm -hmm. the wolf pack, of Mm -hmm. the dog pack. So they're like basically like right there ready to step up into placement if let's say an alpha female was to get killed on a hunt. Well, that out that that female beta, she's right there to step right back up in line because if the alpha female is missing, the pack has a very good chance of dying off. Mm. That's the importance of the alpha partnership, the alpha male and female roles. So then you have the body of the pack below the betas, right? The subordinates they make up the the meat of the pack. They you know power in numbers. Um, and then you have the Omega, the lowest ranking member, which really serves typically as the the jokester, the trickster. Of the, <laughs> I didn't know uh, that. That's funny. Yeah. The Omega. It's like the fool. Mm, yes. Well, it's like yeah. the fool in the tarot. I, I always think of of the Omega is that that's a, it serves of, you know, people would say, oh yeah, that's the, that's the silly one. Or they're always off, you know, doing whatever. And, but that it serves a there's a huge depth of importance in that role. It's interesting because, you know, a lot of, would you, I mean, I think you'd agree that the, many of these same dynamics are present in any group of people, right? Yes. Because I look at our family and, you know, Penny in her own way has a lot of alpha qualities. Mm. And so does Angie because mm-hmm. they're both very powerful women. But there's certain times when, Penny is more alpha, like Penny's a genius with maps and getting places, and and she's a computer super wizard. Angie's a genius of organization and healing, and mm. you know they they have a lot of similar qualities. Very interestingly, but also they're. Uh, Angie's more intuitive and right brain and Penny's more left brain, mathematical, logical. Um, so they complement each other like that. And then, you know, like if we're traveling together, Penny takes the alpha role because she knows how to get us everywhere and she's a pilot. So she can, you know, mm. she's, she has a brain like that. <laughs> um, but the, the, but the, I think the thing I'm, I have observed is that the, the positions fill themselves, but there's that 
there's then there's the survival structure like if it, if 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 there was a threat to our lives i would definitely be the alpha because it's i'm i'm oriented towards dealing with those kinds of things and so it's just interesting to watch the dynamics but the reason i'm hinging on this question a bit is because when i look into the world I see that humanity has reached such a low level of physical, emotional, and mental vitality that I see that there's a real problem in a lot of families where there's nobody fulfilling the alpha role. And one of the things that I found in my research in psychology is when they looked at children with eating disorders, addictions, and things like cutting issues, self-harming, the number one correlating factor was parents who did not have a sense of direction in their life. So whenever mom and dad don't really have a clear sense of who they are, what they're doing, what their goals are, then it really has a seriously negative effect on the children. So I'm just curious... Do you feel that if a species reaches a certain level of degradation, that that inherent capacity to fill those roles begins to degenerate? Unfortunately, I, I, yeah, I, I, I would absolutely say that. And that's the great importance of, you know, without humanizing the dog, right? Mm. We, there's a lot of overlap here. So essentially what you just explained, which is... S- so incredibly accurate is that that's exactly what's happening in our relationship with our dogs is that we are not showing up and embodying these ideal archetypal alpha male alpha female roles which is what gives the 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 dog what gives the child um the the most confident secure healthy vibrant life as from the beginning from a child mm-hmm. and allowing that to morph and and evolve into adulthood and that is so missing of course within you know the human to human the parent to child dynamic but really this is about parenting our dogs in, in that ideal way it's just that we're speaking a different language you know, we're 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 not speaking to our dogs in a, in a, in a language that they are fluent in. Um, you know, it's it's all about it's all about us. What happens when the human dog relationship is such that the human doesn't establish the alpha relationship to the dog? How does that play out? Yeah. So. Canines are hardwired to understand that in order for the pack to be at its best, to be mm-hmm. successful and survive, that the le- the leadership element needs to be in place, solidly in place. And so when when a dog is not living in that, when that's not the dog's experience, they will do whatever it takes no matter what the breed, no matter what the age, no matter what the background, no, ma- no matter what, what, what it is for the dog, I, and I see this across the board, um, that dog will do whatever it takes to assume a leadership role because that, 
that means that the pack has a better chance, really its only chance of, of survival. So it'll do it for the human. It will do it for the human. And that is essentially what the, is at the core of my work. What does that look like? It looks like a lot of stressed out and anxious and nervous and uh, really just insecure animals. You know, a lot of people don't realize or aren't aware of the intelligence of the dog. So they probably don't perceive that the dog knows when they're lost and they're scared in their own life. And if the human is supposed to be in the alpha role, then this goes right back to the wolf pack with no leader and the pack dying. So there must be one hell of a lot of dogs out there that are just going, what the hell is going on here? It's rampant, Paul. <laughs> I mean, they must, that, that's, that's kind of like the, the case of the whole world right now. It's the whole world. And, you know, I work with a lot of wonderful people that have raised dogs their whole life. They've trained dogs their whole life. I work with police officers that have trained canine units for 15 to 30 years. I work with people that have been living with dogs for, you know, for many, many years. And even those clients are still completely in the dark. Um, about how to understand their dog, how to speak a language that th that's natural and instinctual to the dog, while also embodying and stepping up to fulfill the most important aspect of our relationship with our dog is is that leadership role. That's the gift. That's so. Of course, because we, you know, don't understand. It's not. This is not common knowledge. This is not, you know, in this world of. The, the dog industry or dog training, quote unquote, this information is not present, um, which, you know, is, um, is what makes my life, you know, work. I mean, I, the more people that we can get, you know, speaking this language and understanding and being able to meet their dogs um, at this level, this is really what is going to, I mean, it's going to transform so many aspects of our lives, not just our inner, our relationships with ourselves, but also our relationships with, with our dogs. Because as you said, most of them are, are suffering. What do you think the ramifications are, the consequences are, if you have a dog in a relationship in a human family, but the alpha male that's taking the role of the alpha male is doing it in ways that are unhealthy, abusive. Like what if you've got an alcoholic father in the house who's violent to the children? The dog can have a loving, nurturing connection to everybody in that house and be very aware that the alpha male is, is actually damaging the pack. What do you think happens when you have this contorted kind of illness in the alpha male? Well, that that goes back to, you know, the the difference between a human's understanding of what an alpha is versus a dog's understanding. And I would say that that dog wouldn't even consider that what a human would think would be an alpha male present. That dog would just look at that as the weakest link. Oh, yeah. So it would be the 
the omega, the fool. (laughs) But not even that, because the fool is a nurturing component and contributor to the betterment of the pack. That is one, a perfect example of that. There was a a pack in Yellowstone, um, one of the, it was a a longstanding pack that was one of the first packs reintroduced after, after wolves were eradicated for like, you know, almost a hundred years. And one of their most well-known alphas, and the reason that she was well-known, was the alpha female, is because she ruled with an iron fist. She was nasty. She was aggressive. She would turn on the young wolves. She was just fighting and and just cantankerous. I mean, she just, you know, well, guess what happened to her? Probably got killed. Oh, boom. She didn't last long at all because that does not, that way of being is not a true alpha. That, that way of being is going to get the rest of the pack killed mm-hmm. very quickly. She's a weak link. And the, the other pack members, the higher ranking pack members noted this and everybody, it was almost like they were all in cahoots around their safety is being threatened. Exactly. Because a, a, a dog with that personality might be too aggressive with a grizzly bear or something. There's, there's so much more risk involved in that way of being when we look at what a true alpha is in a language and an embodiment that a canine understands. And I, I think too, um, you know, and again, I, I go back to you, Paul, because um, I, I know very few true embodied alphas <laughs> just in, in life in yeah. general. It's, that's what I'm saying. It's very rare. Mm-hmm. So, you know, where you have this very strong presence where you don't have to go and command people to do things. You don't have to demand them to do things. Your energy and your presence is naturally respected. So people are guided to you because of your alignment. You're not going outside of yourself to try and get somebody to listen to you or I demand respect, mm. which when you think about it, that's all that's out there as far as dog training. Mm. I command the dog to do this. I thought dogs were man's best friend. Mm-hmm. How can we, would we command our our best friend in, in human experience to do anything? Mm-hmm. No, that relationship would end very quickly. Nobody would want to tolerate that. Yeah. So, you know, so when we think about that true alpha nature in a canine and a human, when mm-hmm. we get when we really get into it, it's the it's the human's I- ideal version of the alpha is the peacemaker, mm. the cool, calm, collected, and truly harmonious inside. Right? Yeah. It's it's that, and that is what that's what sets the tone for the rest of the pack to be at its best. It's interesting, you know, because I was always a leader as a child, mm. just. It just happened. It just unfolded. When I was in the military, yep. just they, this guy, he's in charge. I think what I learned the hard way through through martial arts and boxing and and motocross racing and and just being around strong, aggressive males is that you know fighting is really dangerous. Mm. You know, you don't want to fight unless it's absolutely necessary i mean a lot of my friends for example were were kind of what i would call pseudo alphas that had to try to make sure everybody knew how tough they were 
And inevitably, they'd end up getting the hell beat out of them, you yeah. know? And, and I just watch this and go, well, no wonder. I mean, you walk around acting like you rule the whole bar and you're going to trigger off people that don't like that and they're going to make sure you're not the alpha. And, <laughs> right. You know, my point being, though, is is that I think that the alpha's role is not just to domineer and lead, but to know when engaging a threat or even, like I said, if if you have a stupid alpha that goes and irritates a grizzly bear, that'll be the end of a pack of wolves because a grizzly bear is so powerful. It'll just, you know, even a big wolf is, is a peanut compared to a grizzly bear. You're talking about 800 pounds of twisted steel and sex appeal or more. <laughs> And uh, claws that are four inches long and, you know. Exactly. I, I, you know, I grew up in the wild. I've been real close to big bears and I know big cats and they, they deserve reverence. You they do. Don't want to mess with them. So I, I just think that this whole alpha relationship, when we look at the psychology of it, and we look at what it had to be for us to survive in nature, and then we take that and look at what's going on in the world with politics and with the health of families and even the way sports teams are run. My God, I've worked on a lot of the best sports teams in the world, both at the Olympic level and professional level. And I must say a lot of the people that run sports teams are not healthy alpha males mm -hmm. and it really affects the team very badly exactly i want to bring up a, a concern that i have <laughs> mm -hmm. about dogs and it really saddens me and that is that people have seriously lost touch with the importance of feeding dogs the way dogs should be fed and I see people feeding dogs all sorts of just crap and packaged garbage. And, you know, I'm a guy that was raised on a farm and I know a lot about soil science. And in my book, How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy, which you've probably seen, I show how to analyze people's poops. Yes. And my God, the smell of a lot of dogs' feces is sickening. It's like, it smells like a, a human that's very sick. Yeah, And so when I smell that, I go, there's someone who's poisoning their dog. This is a, you can include this as, this is a separate issue. The whole veterinary medicine thing's just gotten to be disgusting. Um, they, it seems to me people are dangerously, you know, in religion, they call it anthropomorphism. When mm. you keep believing that God is a, a human, yes. right? Yes. And there's a lot of problems created by anthropomorphizing God. And we are anthropomorphizing dogs. Yes, we are. And I think it's really destructive to dogs. And I see a lot of inflamed, sick, cloudy-eyed dogs that are lethargic and they're they're just, they look like they're living in hell to me. Yet the paradox is it's often the people that have a lot of money that, tr that do this to their dogs. Their, their, their surgery for this, shots for that, pills for that, feed them, you know, gourmet human food, but it's full of 
shit that dogs aren't designed to eat. So could you enlighten us on these issues? <laughs> oh, Paul, this is a whole podcast in and of itself. Oh, well, I mean, give us the t- t- give us the teaser for the next podcast. E- yeah. So by nature, I, I I say that dogs really live, our common day domesticated dog lives uh, a highly toxic life. Um, When we look at the grass that they step out into when they come out of their home is full of Roundup, carcinogenic um, chemicals, uh, lawn fertilizers. You know, when we look at like children and dogs that grow up and are exposed to uh, the lawn chemicals that most people, most, you know, communities put onto their lawns, they have an 85% chance at like at best of developing many different kinds of cancers. So the dogs then go out, they step in the lawn and then they're gro- they come in and they're grooming themselves, right? Mm. They're licking their paws, yes. they're licking their legs, mm-hmm. they're ingesting these highly highly toxic chemicals. Um, I mean, they're being really poisoned. Totally. Every day of a dog's life, they're being poisoned. So are the, so are the humans. So kids. are the humans, exactly. And so this is something that we have to look at from a grand scale because this is a human issue that we have now given to our dogs. So the it all goes back to the disconnection. You know, we're losing connection with our food. We're eating highly processed. We don't know what we eat. We're eating highly processed rations that are filled with all kinds of mitotoxins and chemicals and preservatives and um, and who knows what actually is in most of the foods. I mean, most people that read their, they don't read labels, right? Whether it's their own food or their dog's food. Well, the labels aren't even honest anymore. Uh, no, it's all false marketing and advertising. Um, and, and most of the ingredients on there, you can't pronounce to begin no. with. Yeah, that's one of my rules. If you can't pronounce a word on the label, your liver won't like it. Exactly. I'm sure most of you are aware, even though you may not like the taste of organs, that organ meats are extremely important and good for you. And I've got great news for you. Paleo Valley makes an amazing grass-fed organ complex that's unique and better than anything I've ever found out there. So much better. I wanted you to hear right from Autumn Smith, its creator, exactly what you're going to get from their grass-fed organ complex. Autumn, get us informed on why we should be using your amazing organ complex. Okay. Well, like you said, organ meats are nature's multivitamins. And when we use them, we feel this energy and this stamina. And most people don't like the flavor. So what we did was we took grass-fed and finished organs like liver and heart and kidney, and we just put them into capsules so that you can get all the benefits, the beautiful benefits of organ meats without actually having to taste them, without liver burps, of course. And they're just freeze-dried. So again, they're not processed heavily in any way whatsoever, and they are sourced from American farmers using regenerative agricultural practices. And all you have to do to try it out is go to our website at paleovalley.com. That's P-A-L-E-O-V-A-L-L-E-Y.com. And you can use the code CHECK15, and that's lowercase c-h-e-k-15. And I sincerely hope you love it. Most dogs, and I would I would say it's even in the 90th percentile of our common day domesticated dogs are eating biologically species inappropriate rations. So 
dry food, which of course wasn't even developed until the 1950s, that's when the dog food processing plants became commonplace, that's when we started seeing cancer. That's when we started seeing dog diabetes. The two leading killers in dogs in this day and age are all different kinds of cancers. And I'm talking dogs that are like six, seven, eight years old. Dogs should be living till they're 30. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Wow. In the 1940s, the uh, lifespan of dogs was much longer than it is in 2021. Something is wrong here. Yeah. Are we, again, we're all going back to this idea. Are we evolving? Are we devolving? Right. Right. So being, feeding our dogs dead food, right? What is commercially available, what is marketed. And then unfortunately, when we get into the veterinarian aspect of things, who do we trust? Who does everybody trust to guide them, the, the, the dog parent to, to give their dog the very best in life? The vet. And the amount of misinformation that's all based off of, and this is opening up a can of worms. I'm, I'm very, um, well, it's gotta be opened. It's the same can of worms that's inside of you. So if you don't open it up, you don't see it. Precisely. So, you know, when we're stepping into our vet's office and we see what's lined on the walls of the offices and our, our veterinarians that are supposed to be supporting our dog's vibrant, wildly healthy lifestyles, they're pointing to feeding our dogs these chemically laden, toxic, full of toxins, uh, dry, dead food that is only creating a high inflammatory response. So the dog's system is in a constant state of fight or flight. And then we wonder why our dogs are walking around, like you said, eyes glazed over, lumpy and bumpy and coarse coats, and they're acting outside of themselves. They're so their systems are so unhappy and so undernourished. You know, these foods are just keeping our dogs alive. Barely. They're killing Barely. them slowly. Kill, yeah. I mean, yeah. And some killing them very quickly. Yeah. Speaking of the veterinary issue, you know, Angie's, as you know, very, very smart and dialed in. And she's been a trainer of dogs and won many, many dog shows. And yeah. Her yeah. first dog was a, a model and she actually got royalties from all the pictures of Maggie and magazines and things. But she took the dogs to the vet recently for a checkup. And they, I think it was one or both dogs, they said had a parasite infection and needed to have some kind of a vaccination. And it was really expensive too. Like they wanted quite a lot of money. And Angie said, no, I don't want to do that. So she took them she did some research and found a holistic vet. Mm-hmm. And so she took them and she said, look, the other vet I went to said the dogs had this and they needed this vaccination and I am i don't trust it. I need you to run your own tests. I need a second opinion. And so all the tests came back completely negative. Mm. And the vet said, no, you should not do that. And I wouldn't recommend that either. Um, but anyhow, you know, it's... The veterinarians are doing the same things with with animal owners that doctors are now doing to human beings, which is just deceiving them, tricking them, and you know running unnecessary tests and giving unnecessary vaccinations and poisoning the dogs and draining the owners of their finances. And you know, I've seen people spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on dogs because of that kind of 
you know, misleading surgeries and, yeah. and all sorts of stuff. The other thing I see a lot, and it's amazing to me how many dogs are suffering from arthritic conditions. But High inflammatory diets. Yeah. And, and one of the first things you learn, learn when you start studying gluten intolerance and food intolerance is that whenever you have undigested food particles, which are called food antigens, mm -hmm. the immune system goes after it because it's not human or it's whatever it gets through your gut. For a dog, if anything that's not dog makes it through the small intestine to the liver, then the immune system has to attack it yeah. because you can't have proteins from another animal in your body or you can't be that person. Like if you had enough sheep uh, for example, if I locked you in a cage and fed you nothing but lamb for a year, the reason you don't turn into a lamb is because your uh, hydrochloric acid in your stomach breaks the proteins down into amino acids. So there's no way to recognize the beef or the chicken or the turkey. And if it doesn't do that, then you'd start replacing your body with genes of a lamb. Right. And metaphorically, you'd turn into a lamb. And Steiner gave that example, you know, in the late 1800s and early 1900s. He says the reason you can could lock someone in a cage and feed them a certain food like lamb for a year and they wouldn't turn into a lamb is because the immune system has to obliterate the idea of any other animal. Mm. Point being is once you get inflammation of the gut and undigested proteins get into the bloodstream, then what happens is, and I've looked at the research extensively on this, Food antigens can be five or six times the size of a blood platelet. Mm. And our capillaries get so small around joints that only one blood platelet at a time can fit through. So when you have undigested proteins in the body of any animal or human being, they, they clog up the microcirculation around joints. And then the natural killer cells come in and obliterate that stuff, but they use very potent chemicals that creates a very powerful inflammatory response. Mm. And so what you'll see in human beings is that whichever their dominant joints are, usually get arthritic symptoms the first because that's the ones that are getting used the most. So for example, a carpenter who's swinging a hammer, let's say they're right-handed, their shoulders working all day long. So there's a lot of blood trying to feed the muscle, the tissues of the shoulder to regenerate it and keep mm -hmm. it healthy and lubricate it and get toxins out. But once you get all these food antigens in there, it blocks the circulation. So the met metabolic wastes build up and then you have all this immune activity around the joint, which creates chronic inflammation, which then degrades the ligaments, degrades the cartilage and the tissues. And so you end up with surgery because muscles tear and, right. and you get rotator cuff tears. And so when I look at what I know about how the immune system works and how the digestive system works, and I say, you know, dogs aren't that different physiologically. Yes, they're, they're a different animal, but most animals have very similar systems to human beings. They might have, uh, you know, a bigger or a smaller organ, but the, the physiology right. at, at its basic level is pretty much the same. You know, a lung is a lung right? Yes. The lung in a dog and the lung in a giraffe and the lung in a hippopotamus all work the same way. Right. So I'm watching all of this and I, I see so many people saying, oh, this dog isn't a good one to buy because it gets hip dysplasia or whatever. I'm like, 
I don't think dogs could have survived in the wild if they got hip dysplasia. What, what they're now calling a genetic dysfunction in the dog, I really think is largely a dysfunction of owners not knowing how to care for the animals. So I'm just curious what your thoughts are in that regard. Yeah, precisely. I mean, you know, when we get into genetics and, and uh, you know, breeding over and over, there's a lot of unfortunate uh, mixed up genetics that get that get put, you know, into our breeds. And then because of the constant selectively trait bred dogs, you know, we're, we're breeding for a look or we're breeding yeah. for a certain characteristic. And so naturally, because of most of the breeding that's out there is done poorly, yes. uh, we do pr- set them up genetically to, you know, we predispose them to certain ailments, but it's almost like when you look at like epigenetics, like the environment, and yes. you can change and transform a genetic makeup based on the environment, totally, yep. based on nutrition, based on nourishment, based on uh, the psychological and the behavioral uh, information and response. Like it can all be tra- transformed. That, that's the, the environment's even more powerful oh. than the genes. Yeah, exactly. The, the way I teach this to my students and say, look, your genes are like the keyboard on a piano. They're the e- it's either an on or an off for the gene. It's the environment that's playing the keyboard. Right. So if you keep bashing a key because you're eating poisonous food, yeah, you're going to break something. Right. You know, and then they're going to say, oh, you've got this genetic weakness. So you're going to have to take these pills and you're going to have to live this way. And uh, we're going to have to staple your stomach. I mean, it's just, just such stupidity. It's mind-blowing. So, so yes, it is heavily the environment. Absolutely. And that's why, you know, through my work with clients, um, it's about looking at things from a holistic perspective. So what that means is that we're addressing every dimension, every layer, every aspect of the dog's existence. And it starts with the behavioral, it's psychological, it's environmental, it's nutritional, it's emotional. You know, these are the five real pillars that I work off of. But, um, but exactly, it's like you, you can change and transform the, the, uh, the situation, the, the predicament that you're in, whether it's a physical ailment or, um, or a, a behavioral ailment. I mean, is it a wonder why dogs are, so out of sorts and why they're so stressed out and anxious. It's not just coming from the information and the setup that they receive from their humans, but imagine if you ate pure sugar and toxins every meal of your life, how would you be showing up? I you wouldn't, know? I'd be dead. Yeah. And it's, it's challenging because it's people just don't have this information because they're relying on, um, unfortunate circumstances, which really are only set out, like what keeps vets in business? Let's be honest. It's very similar to the human medical. A lot of it. Well, sick dogs. Yes. Yeah. Sick animals. Yes. I mean, the disinformation of people not knowing how to care for their dogs, just like the misinformation given to human beings keeps doctors largely in business. Exactly. If, if (laughs) I, I said when COVID started, if Donald Trump would have spent $2 trillion on an education program to teach people what's in my book, how to eat, move, and be healthy, then we would have gotten far better protection against any bacteria or virus or anything in the environment than locking people in houses and giving them money so that they can continue to succumb to criminal behavior from the top. You know? Yeah. It's like unbelievably 
sick. I notice that some people have odd combinations of pets. Like they might have a couple of birds that fly around the house, and they might have a, a python or uh, a, and a dog and a cat or an iguana. I was wondering, are there combinations of pets that don't work well with dogs? You know, really what it all comes down to is the the pack dynamic being in its ideal hierarchy and structure. And that's what creates harmony. That's mm-hmm. that's what restores harmony when when every every creature, every element of the pack feels like they they are secure. That that is what, you know, keeps reactions or um aggressiveness or, you know, any kind of uh, dangerous behavior at bay. Um, as far as, you know, a, a dog and a snake, um, you know, would I put the two together? No, absolutely not. Um, you know, not because, uh, I, I don't think that it could work in some kind of a situation. Um, but I think that, um, you know, that especially too, if you have a dog that just naturally has a, a large prey drive or would be activated Mm -hmm. by an animal. Like I think a really tricky one that I see commonly is, um, dogs and bunny rabbits. Oh, and that is very challenging, um, because the dog is hardwired with an instinct to hunt them, to hunt and to hunt them. Exactly. So they are your quintessential, like, Prey animal, right? Yeah. Every canine's like delicacy is is a rabbit, um, and so have I created situations and has it worked fluidly in a, in us in certain packs? Yes, it has. Would I go out and recommend that that people you know go out of their way to create that dynamic of having those two species present in the pack? Probably not. But it's more of it comes to me in the sense of. We love this rabbit and we love this dog and can we make this work? And, you know, healthy boundaries need to be established. Each animal needs to have, you know, their their own space. One can't feel burdened by the other. Um, and always being watchful. You know, another dynamic that I've seen work and, and in some cases not work is dogs and cats. Mm-hmm. Cats are quite territorial. Um, s- female cats can be even more territorial. Yeah, and you know, I I was raised on a hundred and forty two acre farm, and we had lots of cats because we had rat problems for quite a while. They were eating, you know, thousands of dollars worth of expensive grains and stuff. Right, and, the, and so my dad said, "Well." We're never going to shoot them all because there's hundreds of them. So he bought nine or ten cats um, as kittens, and he just let them loose in the barnyard. And he didn't give them any food. He said they're either going to survive or they're not. And if, right. And and but all of them survived. And within about probably three or four months, the rat problem was gone. But I had a cat. I don't know where I got it, but it was a we call it a tabby cat. I don't know what kind it was, but it's a this cat was the alpha cat. He was a male. <laughs> yeah. And he was badass. I mean, he was, he was probably the size of a of a bob a bo- smaller bobcat. Mm-hmm. But the point is like our sheep dogs would sometimes like try to be aggressive with him and boy, I'll tell you what, they learned do not mess with that cat cuz he yeah. would he would go for their eyes and their nose yep. and he was a 
badass. Yeah. But the point I'm driving at is that there was room for them to have their own space. Exactly. But when you get a cat like that in a house with a dog, it could be pretty rough. So I'm wondering, is there things like that that people need to be aware of? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it can be very rough. And I've seen... I mean, I've gone into homes where it's been quite a, a very stressful situation. Yeah, that's what I'm worried about. <laughs> yeah. For and, everybody. Yeah, exactly. I mean, quite dangerous because God knows that would be just a horrifying thing to have something go wrong. And, and sometimes it does. Through this work, uh, through my work, I have been able to see conflict and stress and uh, you know, combative behavior occur because, of course, the languaging is not right, the setup is not right, the animals are not set up successfully, and there's a lot of tension within the home because the hierarchy is not in place, and the dog is feeling like because they don't have the alphas to trust and respect, mm -hmm. they are in control of everything that happens in the home. And so if they deem the cat to be a threat or an unwanted member of the pack, of course that creates that that generates a conflict. It's it's an aggravated relationship. And so I've seen it happen many 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 times where literally just without changing anything within the the, the canine to feline dynamic, the human just changes their behavior steps up, embodies that leadership role, it restores harmony within the pack. It's it's like I, what I was saying earlier about the the alpha male dynamic with the other, the lower ranking males in the dynamic where you're the security or it's the same with like an alpha female. They have to be so strongly solidified within their rank because then that communicates to the lower ranking females that that's where they need to be and that there's no there's no competition right there's no jockeying for rank it's just that is what is so and that's what brings stability you know to to the the environment of the pack so literally that has changed everything it it, it restores peace mm. and then everybody can coexist positively but again i i wouldn't say that um you know that there's there's no really there's not really another way to go about it. Um, there's not a way to train the dog to respect the cat, or because when it comes down to it, cats are also pack animals. So as canines are in packs, humans in tribes, felines in prides, mm. horses and herds, cows and herds. I mean, we're all pack animals. We're all tribe animals. We mm -hmm. we survive and are successful based on the power of the pack, the power in numbers. So when we can, it all comes back to that ideal pack structure. And when that is in place and our dogs can feel rooted in that and trust and respect in their humans to fulfill that, those roles, I should say, that's, that's what allows for greatness to occur. Yeah. <laughs> this is, you know, I, I don't know how to approach this question without upsetting people, but especially I notice a lot of this in big cities where I see dogs with dyed hair and exotic haircuts and like it's almost as though people are 
taking the human concept of fashionizing dogs and like it just seems to me to be so unnatural for a dog um is there a point at which that's okay and is there a point at which it is maybe stressful to the dog I would say it's a complete invasion and disrespect to dogs as a species. Um, I, I don't, I don't see anything positive coming from it. Um, as far as the dog is concerned, dog, dogs are living in a human world, and that's that's the dysfunction. Is we take very little time or thought or energy of how we can improve their lives. It's really much more so about what they can do for us. The dogs have become. I don't know if it's the right word, but like trophies, look how cool my dog is. I got a purple dog with a mohawk and it goes to the beauty salon and it eats um, dumplings and uh, bagels with me and uh, probably espresso too. (laughs) I I just like I, I, I see this like especially in places like L.A., New York. Chicago, you know, it seems like the the, the big cities have this pooling uh, pooling effect where people are so disconnected from each other that they actually almost are on the border of sexualizing their relationships with dogs. And what I mean by that is not necessarily the act of sex, but it's like... I can't deal with human beings, so I'm going to have a dog and pretend it's my wife or my husband or my child. And and it's like the dogs are being pushed into, again, an anthropomorphic role. Yeah. And it seems to me to be so unnatural. I mean, like I said, I grew up on a farm and I grew up on Vancouver Island in the wild. There's wolves there. There's coyotes. I mean, I, I've I've lived in nature. I know what the natural state of animals is like when I'm there. And when I come see what's happening in cities, it's almost as though we're projecting our loneliness, our confusion, our illness, and our sickness into the lives of animals to such a degree that it, it's, it's just, I, I just can't help but think that the poor dogs must just feel like they've been incarnated into a hell of some kind. It's truly what what is the case, and and the pooling effect within metropolitan big city environments is it's it's everywhere, yeah. um, and and dogs it, it's it's really a fascinating uh, how it's developed over time. When you looked at like the pharaoh dogs and um, and these dogs that were in the Chinese dynasties, yes. you know, your dog was literally your symbol of how great you were Mm. it was the ultimate accessory and now look what we have in gang culture having the biggest gun having the biggest you know uh, car the biggest rims the biggest wad of cash no 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 that's not what really shows up as your status and how wealthy and how great you are within your culture within your gang it's your dog yeah how or, many fights has your dog won? Yes. How how muscly is your dog? How yeah. beefed up? How how you know whatever the the confirmation of the dog? It's it's 
this is what we're, and it shows up in all different areas of society, yeah. right? And then, and then you have your, you know, your very high kind of affluent, you know, poodles walking around in Chanel handbags yes, that are dyed purple. That's, that's the kind of shit I'm talking about. And yeah, it's. I, I look at it and I just feel sad for yeah. the animals. I'm yeah. like, you know, you've taken the animal's life away. We're, we're looking at all the many angles, which is so important because these are things that a lot of people don't really think about. Yeah. Um, Obviously. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But it is, it is an invitation. It is uh, an encouragement to start to learn, um, you know, what, what, what truly is my dog all about? What are their needs? Because let's be clear, dogs have needs. They don't have wants and desires. They need very specific things from us as the humans, the ones that are truly cut out and fit in this time and space to be responsible for them and guide them healthfully and successfully. And so we need to start showing up in that and embodying that in all of the ways, you know, and that and that's really the steps that need to be taken um, in order to 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 shift this. You know, this it, this is like a paradigm shift, right? We yeah. have to be able to to shift our way of being and step into their world, and and obviously not just make it all about us. P three OM by Bioptimizers is hands down one of the most important supplements to have on you. Everywhere you go, if you're traveling, if you go to work, if you're going to friend's house to eat, this product will knock out food poisoning and almost any kind of gut disorder from viruses, bacteria, fungi, whatever could irritate your gut so quickly. It's mind-blowing. I have been using this product since Wade Lightheart first turned me on to it, and he's the formulator of it. And I've got Wade here to tell us how it works, but I just want you to hear it from me. I have all my clients use this. I try to get it to friends, to family members, because it is really like your own bodyguard. So Wade, how in the world does this thing work so well every time? Well, as you know, we're very research oriented and we have literally a university in Croatia that we do microbiome testing with our labs of PhDs to find out what's the most effective formulation. And we are quickly moving into the post-antibiotic world where we need to cultivate super probiotics. We all heard of super bad bacteria in hospitals and stuff that are antibiotic resistance. But what we did, we worked with a medical doctor that was able to take an aggressive strain of L. plantarum, which is a very aggressive strain, and then put it through almost like a BUDS camp, a Navy SEALs training where we subjected this particular probiotic to a toxic environment. We ran a sine wave through it. And out of that survived only about somewhere between 2 and 3%. We then take that and grow it on very special food. We feed them just like you would feed a great athlete. You feed them special food. And the probiotics develop unique capabilities. We have a U.S. patent that is so powerful, I can't read it on the airwaves because we'd get canceled. But what I can say is when you put P3OM in your body, it goes out and breaks down any undigested protein, whether it's in your gut or through your blood system. And it becomes your Navy SEALs defense force, if you will, to go out and wipe out whatever pathogen might come in your body. 
You just need more of these guys to overwhelm it. It takes it out. It cleans up any messes. And for the last 18 years, I've been using P3OM daily. And I can honestly say I've never been sick during that time. If I feel something coming on, I just double down my dosage, take four caps every night. If I get a little, if I'm traveling, I take twice that. And it's been great. A lot of our people do it. And it's one of our best-selling products. And it's available to your audience. Just go to p3om.com slash living40. Put in Paul 10, get a 10% discount. And if it's not the best probiotic you've ever had in your life, you get 100% of your money back. That's from us at Bioptimizers. That's our guarantee for you. Go get it. It's for real. I love the stuff. Thank you, Wade. This other topic, we touched on it a little earlier, but I think it's important. Dogs are becoming pincushions for vaccinations. They're coming up with vaccinations for every damn thing, for cats, dogs, whatever freaking way they can sell you this shit. And so my question for you is, what percentage of vaccinations being given to dogs would be unnecessary if the dogs were just fed and cared for and their natural innate immune systems were allowed to be the, the way they should be functioning in nature versus vaccinations that maybe are necessary. I don't know enough about dogs to know if there's vaccinations that should be gotten. I know that vets will tell you that you must have this, but that's what they say about children, and that's what they say about uh, everybody. Uh, we all know we're in the vaccination illness era what's your what can you share with the listeners about how to make healthy decisions on vaccinations for dogs as a rule our again our common day domesticated dog is over the moon vaccinated to such a degree that we are dis- we're just absolutely destroying their immune systems. Yeah. Um, we are weakening them. Uh, we are leaving them susceptible to, I mean, it's every time a dog gets an unnecessary vaccination, which quite honestly, um, everything beyond, you know, a year old, once a dog is a year old and gets their initial vaccinations that basically covers them across the board. Um, and even then I have my, um, strong opinions on which vaccinations are necessary Mm -hmm. because even in that, you know, eight week to, or I should say, uh, five week to, uh, 12 month stage of life, um, there's a lot of vaccinations that, uh, vets are promoting that are very unnecessary and detrimental to the dog's health, not to mention, uh, the schedule in which the dogs are, you know, these young puppies that are getting jabbed with four or five inoculations at one time. And then they're like having neurological responses and yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. It, it, it happens all the time. It's just complete incompetence and really malpractice. Um, so, uh, of course you have to do the rabies vaccination because that's the law, right? You have to do the every three year rabies vaccination. But, um, I would encourage all of the listeners to, first of all, seek out a wonderful holistic vet that maybe dabbles also in traditional practice as well. But going with a vet that really speaks to your heart, that mm. resonates with They're you. They're hard to find, though. They're very hard to find. I know everybody tells me I should have gone to vet school and been a vet, but 
I could never cut open a dog. So um, that wouldn't work. Um, but once you have a really good, and obviously for people that rescue dogs or they've, you know, have a, a dog that's already, you know, in their middle to latter stages of life, you know, you, you do the best with where you're at currently. Um, but once a dog is fully vaccinated in the early stages, beyond that, instead of getting the jab and getting the vaccination, when that little card comes in the mail or you get the email in your inbox that said, your pet is due for vaccinations. Well, they're not. They're absolutely not due. Their body does not need uh, a re-up on those vaccinations. But what you should do is work with your vet, even if you don't have a holistic vet. You have to, unfortunately, with traditional vets, strongly encourage them, even though they'll look at you like, you have 10 heads, like how did you hear about this? But you will want a tighter blood test the dog. So what you're doing is you're you're drawing blood to test the antibodies and the level of presence of that vaccine in the dog system. And my dear friend, uh, Dr. Barbara Royal, uh, who is a holistic vet um, in Chicago, she's she's world renowned. Um, I asked her, she's been in been in practice for 35 years, and I said, I said, Barb, in all of your thousands of dogs that you've worked with, when you pulled tighter tests, how many dogs have you had to revaccinate? How many dogs, when you got that blood test back, showed up, this dog does not have adequate levels of that vaccine present in the system? I already knew the answer. Zero. Oh, my God. And... What's beautiful about the tighter test is that they last for three years. So when you get that tighter back that says, oh, all great, all great, covered, 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 you don't have to go back and test those titers for three years. Do the math, do the numbers. Every year, every six months, your dog needs this, your dog, I mean, it's the kickbacks and the amount of money that veterinarians are making off of these vaccinations is is criminal. Yeah, it's just like, the human situation. It's exactly. Well, a simple analogy that comes to my mind is, you know, only a fool would put oil in their car without checking the oil level. So, you know, I'm a mechanic. If you put too much oil in a car, it'll blow the crank seals right out of it. You'll ruin the engine. So that's why they have a dipstick that tells you, you know, maximum level and it shows you up to one quart low. And if it's below that, now you're going to ruin the engine that way. But, you know, if you don't check the levels of what you're putting into the dog's body, you could literally be poisoning the dog on the guise of helping the dog, you know. And, and you know, a lot of vaccinations have poisons because poisons in low doses can be medicines. Mm -hmm. And that's the same with human beings. Um a, a question that popped into my mind is, are there any books that you recommend for making good decisions about things like vaccinations, feeding dogs, and, and any other general information? Like, is there anything on your mind that if you said if there was two books I would recommend everybody buy that wants to have a good relationship with their dogs or cats or their pets, are there any you recommend? On behavior and psychology, no, and that's why I'm writing one. Yeah, good. Right? Um, on 
canine health and how we can learn, you know, have basically a Bible to, you know, to teach us and, and really refer to. Um, there's a, a new book that came out. Um, it's called The Forever Dog um, and uh, by Dr. Karen Becker, who's a wonderful uh, holistic vet. Um, she's, I, I have a lot of respect for her. Um, also, Dr. Barb Royal um, has a uh, um, a, a great book as well on uh, canine and pet nutrition. Um, and so I, I would really, you know, encourage listeners to, to check that out. Um, but you know, it, it, it really, you know, we have to be able to, unfortunately, even the vets, you know, the vets, they don't teach psychology or behavior, um, in vet school, no. right? So even your holistic vets, um, and then the ones that I've worked with over the years, you know, it's it. They're a great asset to have because that's a huge piece of the puzzle in completing the masterpiece, the work of art that that is our relationship with the dog. Um, it's health from all perspectives. Um, but when we get into conversation, it's um, it. I, I chuckle because I I thought you know so much about supporting them in their body, but the mind and and the spirit you know um, are are not are neglected in that so um, we have to put all the pieces of the puzzle together well you're going right into my next question and that's this that um, I observe that many dog owners relationships with their dogs is very codependent in mm. many ways and that dogs and cats I'm using dogs because that seems to be more your forte is it yeah you know um, that the dogs are dealing with the negative emotions of human beings and that we're breeding dogs to do things for us at the expense of their own well-being. And, um, you know, I'm shamanic and intuitive enough to have seen many of my patients who have showed up with their dogs, and I can feel that the dog is actually carrying the owner's stress or maybe they went through a divorce and the dog's actually really feeling the pain of the separation or there might be a job loss and financial stress and the dog really feels that their owner is losing it. Yeah. And, and so um, my own observation is that a lot of dogs actually embody the stress of the owner but the owners often don't realize that the symptoms, the illness, and the change in the dog's behavior is the dog actually compensating for the owner. In other words, they're, you know, in, in, especially in, in, uh, Eastern spirituality, you know, Yogananda talked about how gurus can actually take on karma for mm. their disciples to help them through a disease process. And Yogananda, you know, was known to do that if he felt it was um, the right thing to do. But then the guru gets sick and the right. guru wears out because they're carrying the karmic stress of the human being that they're trying to help. Um, could you share what your thoughts and feelings are about that, the psychological, spiritual intimacy and why it and, and what people need to be more aware of so that they're not um dumping mm. on their dog without maybe even being conscious that it's actually potentially 
really stressful to their animal. And how do how do you how like let's say I was going through a real crisis in my life, how how would I go through that crisis so that it didn't end up becoming too painful, stressful or damaging to my dogs? Codependence in the human to canine relationship is very one-sided, right? So humans are very dependent on their dogs for emotional support. I mean, look what we have emotional support dogs now, uh, service dogs, um, you know, and, and I see a lot of really broken service dogs that come to me because they're, as you said, and, and I love this, this part of the conversation because this really is about like, this explains the shaman dog. Like this, this is, that's the natural essence of a dog. That's how they show up for us is that they're so attuned they're so sensitive. They are experiencing things in ways that surpass humans by light years. Yeah. And because we're so interconnected, they are absorbing that deep sadness, that deep stress, the deep anxiety. And a lot of times it's because as the humans, let alone the fact that dogs naturally are attuned to that and will absorb that energy, but we are literally giving that to our dogs. We're involving them. We're bringing that. We're bringing them into that experience. Not thinking about how is this affecting my dog. And so when you bring it, when you say the word conscious, being conscious, that's what this is all about. Is mm -hmm. when I'm in states where I'm feeling low, where I'm feeling like I need to be supported. Well, what's the best way to do that? To go internal, to go inside. Yeah. How can we or, right or get help from another human being that actually has the 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 framework of understanding to understand how to give you empathy or support because of they are, they they have a framework for you know like I I don't think that a dog understands the concept of a broken marriage right. from a human perspective but what they do understand is that there's two people that they love that are really acting like they're in pain and and then there's the urge to try to help in some way sure and that's naturally going to occur um what i always suggest is when you're in states like that don't directly involve the dog. So when you're sobbing or when you're in angry or frustrated or stressed out, that's a natural life experience. I don't know anybody that has not had those emotions or been through that, you know, those experiences in their life. But when you're in the heat of it, when it's bubbling to the surface, when you're really thick in that experience, that is not the time to be directly engaging with the dog, mm -hmm. right? So you can still have engagement just like when I walked in today and Teddy approached me. Most people would say, oh, you're ignoring this beautiful puppy. Why would you do that? Mm -hmm. I wasn't ignoring him at all. There was volumes of communication. We were communicating on, and you could see mm. his response to me, well, he right? Ended up laying down next to you and kissing your toes. <laughs> Yeah, but and trying to nibble on them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Giving giving them a little nibble. What I felt from him was a, a a sense of relief and relaxation and easement around my presence, mm -hmm. right? And that was because 
I wasn't directly engaging with him like is normal and natural and instinctual for a human to do, right? And and we talked about that. So um, that's the same in that situation. That doesn't mean that later today or you know on Saturday when there's when it's the time and the place and it's right and I can design that experience where my interacting with Teddy is going to enhance his life. Mm-hmm. But in that di- in that situation, it wasn't the right time. What would the consequence be for him if you were like the typical person that just jumps out of their car and do- the dog doesn't know you, but they start just interacting with it? Although most people would be afraid to get bit. But um, give us the counter current. Like, what would you? What would somebody have done that you would not have said was ideal? Again, a dog who is at their home, at their property, they have no idea that a visitor is coming or a stranger is coming. Um, And so the last thing that you would want to have happen, the last way that you would want to interact with your dog in that situation where you present yourself as a perceived danger as a stranger mm. to the dog. So you want to be you want to have a calming a, a neutral effect. You want to present yourself as a non-threat as one that comes basically with with peaceful energy, with neutral energy as and opposed to what? As opposed to some wild out of control person that needs to be managed and 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 looked after right because what would happen is if i would have engaged with him immediately i would have put him in the leadership role he's not the manager of this home you are right so if i would have gotten out of my vehicle saw this adorable puppy and immediately greeted him on his terms well, that interaction is on his terms. So what am I doing? I'm verifying that he is the one in the leadership role in charge of managing this pack and this property. Oh, that's interesting. Now I get it. Yeah. So you see, because what I noticed that you did is you didn't face him directly. You almost turned a little bit sideways and didn't look at him directly. And at first I thought he's going to wonder why she's doing that. but. I noticed that he, like you said, he just seemed to relax a lot where what normally happens is they just jump repeatedly on people, right? which, you know, some people like it, some people don't. But let me just give you a scenario so that people can, can really digest this. One of the most common things we get here is UPS men coming up. Now, the UPS men don't know who the dogs are, unless they've been here lots of times, but a lot of them, they, they behave like they're scared. And of course, the dogs run and they want to jump and want to play. Um, What would you say would be the right thing to do in a scenario like that? You're the UPS woman in this case. Teddy runs out or Samson runs out and they want to jump all over you or whatever. How would someone like a UPS delivery person apply the strategy you just talked about. Yeah. So when you leave the dog out to receive that a a perceived danger, because everybody that's external and outside of the pack, Mm -hmm. you have to understand for a dog, that's a perceived danger. Yeah. Right. And so if you're, if the dogs have the space to be out and, and experience and receive that UPS driver, if you're present, which ideally I would say, to, to be present in that situation so that you can say, oh, hey, just ignore, you know, just ignore the dog or please, please don't acknowledge the dog, right? 
people that are afraid of a dog, when they hear, oh, I can ignore the dog that's coming at me. Right. Great. I don't, that, that puts them at ease. And yeah. then what I would say is as you are showing up as the alpha male in that situation, you approach the dog with no words, with no eye contact. Do you mean if I was showing up when the UPS man had showed up? If you were like in the background, kind of watching this. Right. Okay. Right? Yep. So you would approach the dog without saying a word because you don't want to reinforce that behavior. You don't want to give a verbal command because in that verbal command, that gives the dog the okay that they're actually supposed to be doing what they're doing, which is a whole other... Well, what if they're <laughs> jumping all over somebody and I, I don't want them to do that? Isn't it safe to say, Teddy, don't do that? So what I would do instead, because, and this is a whole other... You know, I don't work off of verbal commands because it's English mm-hmm. and dogs don't speak English. Right. Right. They speak energy. So what I would say in that situation, instead of using your voice, if you were that far away, even giving a clap or a whistle uh-huh. or something that doesn't involve your personal language connection, your personal language, your voice with them, because The way that dogs understand information is that whenever they're acting on a behavior, they're looking at what's in it for them. What are they getting out of that behavior? And that's why positive reinforcement doesn't work and negative reinforcement doesn't work because even though you're dealing with very different energetic frequencies, right? Bad dog or good boy, at the end of the day, you're just in both of those reactions you're reinforcing a behavioral pattern. Mm -hmm. So in a behavior that you don't want to continue and to be part of the patterning, you need to be able to show a consequence of action in that scenario in a language that a dog understands. And you want to reserve your verbal communication to make an impact in a very certain specific situation. So you don't want to just be overusing and abusing your voice because then the dog becomes non-responsive, then it has no effect. The language that dogs speak, energy, mm-hmm. energy, 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 body language, mm-hmm. eye contact, postures, gestures. So you literally want to be in action to show the consequence of their action versus being reactive. Because when you're reactive, like, no, off, down, leave it, drop it, stay, that's a very reactive way of being. Mm-hmm. And for a dog, they don't understand that. Like they might avoid the situation and get off of whatever it was in the moment, but you'll notice that that behavior keeps coming up time and time again. Hi guys, I hope you're enjoying the show. I had to take a little break to tell you that Symbiotic has just come out with an amazing new vitamin D product that will be ready for you by the time you get this little infomercial on it. So I've got Shervin here with me and he's going to tell us what is in his new product that's an upgrade from the previous product. So Shervin, everybody's talking about vitamin D obviously with COVID. So what should we know about this product and why should we use it? 
Well, we're supposed to be getting our vitamin D from the sun. Yes. That's our ultimate source, right? Yeah. UVA, UVB rays, rays hit, our, hit the cholesterol in our skin, converts to vitamin D in the body, fat-soluble vitamin, and boom, which is great, which is why we go out in the sun every single day. But if you're looking for something a little bit extra, or perhaps you're somewhere that you're not getting enough sun. Which or is per- a lot of places. 80% of the world. Yeah. And depending on your genetics and a lot of things. We got to make the best formula ever, typical Symbiotica style. So we use D3 coming from lichen, which is a Mm -hmm. cross between fungi and algae. Mm -hmm. And we have 5,000 IUs in this formula, which is up from 3,000. We also have both forms of vitamin K2, which works synergistically with vitamin D3. Vitamin K2 is responsible for removing free-floating calcium out of your blood and arteries and your heart and brain tissue Mm -hmm. and actually where they belong into your bones. Super critical today. We need to get the the right forms of calcium into our bones. Vitamin K2 does that. And we have the MK4 and MK7 versions in there. We also have CoQ10 in there, Mm. which is a strong heart antioxidant. You throw that in there in liposomal form and all organic materials in there from the essential oils. We actually went with a tangerine flavor on this. We found a really good tangerine oil. It's organic. It's the best ever. It's creamy. It's delicious. It comes to you in a Myron bottle, just like all of our stuff. Mm -hmm. This is really like immunity in a bottle and it's very, very delicious and versatile. And is it safe for kids? Absolutely. Any age? Any age. Yeah, there's no counterindications with children whatsoever. Excellent. Well, it's a very important product today with all the viral shock going around and whatever else they're giving us. Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, you know, obviously a lot of people are getting sick because they're just not eating well and they don't have the right supplements. And so, in the busy world we live in, with a lot of people being indoors. I mean, I know people that are vitamin D deficient that live in Florida because they're indoors too much. So absolutely, I'm excited to be able to share this with you guys. Get your top-notch Symbiotica vitamin D at C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. For your Living 4D discount, use CHECK15 on checkout and get ready to be absolutely amazed with your vitamin D upgrade. With Samson, it's quite interesting. You see, Samson loves to wind people up. So, like, one day he stole my wallet with my phone, and I was not impressed. He likes to steal shit that he knows he's not supposed to have because he specifically wants you to chase him. Because you give him a reaction in that situation. So. It's so typically taught in traditional approaches that like the dog grabs our wallet or our glasses and we're reactive. No, drop it. You know, See, my father would have beat, beat the it. living hell out of a dog for yeah. that. Yeah. Like my, my, my dad would give that dog two tries and it would get a bullet between the eyes. That's just like, that's how my father was. Yeah. You know, my, my, for example, we used to have problems with the dogs chasing and killing our chickens. Sure. So my father's solution to that was effective, but I don't think you'd approve of it. You know how he cured that? He'd take that dead chicken. Beat beat him with it? No. He would wire it to their neck so that everywhere they went, they had to wear that chicken as a collar while it rotted. And the dog got so freaking sick of the smell and the presence of a chicken, it would never go near a chicken again. Wow. It, It worked every time. But 
all I could do is feel the empathy for this rotting carcass hanging oh. off a dog's neck for two weeks. That's he, horrible. He would leave it on them till it rotted off. And you had to grow up with that. Oh, well, <laughs> you know. Poor Paul. That was just the beginning, right? That, that, that was pretty much the... Uh, my father didn't notice there was a difference between animals and humans. So <laughs> you could just say that's sort of a snapshot of how I got raised. But uh, it did make me tough, I'll tell you that. Yeah. But uh, I'm trying to just... Yeah. Because what you're saying is so counterintuitive. It right? is. Because you're, what you're really highlighting is a glowing difference between human communication being projected on an animal and then we get upset because they don't understand us. But, you know, it's interesting that what, what you said because what I finally realized with Samson, because he loves to get your attention, like he is a real trickster. I, I was just going to say that he is a total trickster. Yeah. And I warn people all the time at classes. I warn construction crews. I say, don't leave anything around right. that you don't want him to take from you, especially food. So I found, I just look at him. I say, I just look at him and say, I'm not playing with you like that. I'm not playing that game today. If you want to go chew that thing up, go ahead. And then he, but, and then he lets it go. And then he lets it go. He, yeah. he sets it down and walks away. And he just looks disappointed like, damn it, I couldn't get him involved. <laughs> Well, and that's it. That's that's the that's the magic right there. Is you know what I encourage you not to have a verbal conversation or address him at all in light of that situation, of course. But that's the energy, yeah. Because your energy is not engaging or entertaining or dancing in that behavior, yeah. Dogs do the best with the information that we give them, and it's most important when we look at how we engage, right? So how we're interacting, and that's a perfect situation. It's beautiful to play with your dog and have that that wonderful, fun connection, that loving connection. But what's most important is that we have to be conscious and aware of whose terms it's on. Mm -hmm. Who is the one that initiated that interaction? Yeah, Was it you mm -hmm. or was it the dog? And when I ask people to look at, to draw awareness and start understanding, when they look at their, their constant interactions with their dogs on a daily basis, who's the initiator? Mm -hmm. People are, when they draw attention to it, they are baffled. They would say 10 out of 10 times, the dog is the one initiating the interaction. Mm -hmm. So if we're if we're giving in and we're putting the dog, we're giving them that power to be the initiator. Imagine we're elevating them into a job description. Remember, it goes back to the what we were talking yeah. about earlier. Leadership. Leadership. Somebody's got to do the job. So this is the way that we basically solidify and confirm multiple times a day that, in fact, yes, our dog is in the leadership role. They're the ones in charge. They're controlling the situations. And so it's a huge invitation for all of the listeners to start drawing awareness and being conscious of when I interact with my dog, was it my invitation? Was I the one that initiated on my terms, showing up, acting as the alpha, as the leader? Or am I just in this perpetual state of constantly putting the dog in the initiator role, which in their minds elevates them, giving them a job description. 
that they can't fulfill. Right. Now, I'm going to put myself at risk here. I'm going to be vulnerable. Oh, good. Because um, there's been two specific occasions, both the same kind of occasion, and both of them when the dogs were younger for about a month ago for Teddy, and it was about the three-month, three- or four-month mark for Samson. You know, they, 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 the, both of these dogs show affection with their teeth. So, like, they like to nibble, you know. And mm-hmm. I've got holes in a lot of my pants because they like to grab my pants and tug on me and try to get me to play with them. And Mana being, boy, Mana's six, he gets into wrestling matches with the dogs. But Samson's older, so kind of Mana and Samson bonded from the – because Samson – uh, Mana chose Samson, and so mm. it's as though Samson knows he's here because of Mana, mm. and so there's this very, and it's the strangest thing. Their personalities are like identical. We all look at this and go, "Oh my God, how did this happen?" Like I love this is that. just the weirdest thing in the world. There was a time when Samson what got too aggressive and started biting Mana, and and one time broke the skin, and Mana was crying and he was hurt, and. And I kept saying to Samson, no, don't bite Mana. Like biting as in hurting him, not playing. There's a difference. You could see, because Samson gets so excited, he he loses control of his softness. Right. And I got to the point where I said, okay, I've got I've to let him know who's boss because he's pushing the boundaries. And so he uh, tried it again. And I grabbed a hold of him by the neck and I whacked him. And I looked at him and said, do not bite the kids ever. Don't do it or I'm going to hurt you. And he never bit Mana again Mm -hmm. or Zoe. And then Teddy was doing the same thing. And we were walking up on the trail out here one night. And Teddy um, knocked Zoe over real hard and hurt, you know, like shocked, stunned her. You know, he like just knocked her right off her feet and he was biting at her mm. and i had told him several times don't bite zoe or mana and and he kept doing it so i did the same thing i grabbed him right by the neck and i looked him right in the eyes and i whacked him i said you do that again and i'm gonna hurt you don't bite the kids and he stopped doing it mm-hmm. so a lot of people <laughs> would be, would think that's like abusing your child <laughs> But this, it was for me, it was instinctual. Of course. You know, it's like I have to protect the kids and, and they've got to learn there's boundaries. There's boundaries. And, and I can't go to the foo-foo dog school uh, for six weeks of training. I, 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 you know, it was one of now those- Now you have me. You have me, Paul. Well, that's why I'm asking, you see, because I, I felt that, I felt that the, a pattern was developing- where the dogs were getting more aggressive and they were not respecting the boundary of play versus hurting the kids. Mm -hmm. And I've had several friends of mine. In fact, one of my best friends spent a lot of money, a lot of money to get a very highly bred dog to be, and and then like we're talking 35,000 to have this dog trained to protect his family, mm. but the dog ended up biting one of his kids. Yep. And so he was heartbroken because this dog was very expensive and so was the training, but it, it, here he's now having to get rid of the dog. 
he had to send it back for more training and I don't know if he kept it or not. And I've had, I've had a number of over the years people have this, but so knowing that I, I, you know, I, I would say the alpha male in me stepped in and sure. said, look, you, you have to learn, buddy, there's a consequence to this and this is what it'll be. I'm a lot bigger and stronger than you. So you follow my orders or I will make sure you know not to do it again. Sure. So anyhow, now you can reprimand me. <laughs> no, I, and I understand like what your, your instinct as a father kicks in, right? Where it's like that, that was your way of establishing in that moment a clear signal. boundary, a clear <laughs> yeah. signal. It was yeah. a very clear communication. Um, what I would say is dogs experience the world in their environment. They assess, you know, with children and dogs, they're, they're pack mates, you know, they're like litter mates yeah. almost. Yeah, and they so are. dogs test the world and their environment and what's okay and what isn't okay, what works, what doesn't work, what's acceptable, what am, what's going to get me in trouble by using their mouth. Mm -hmm. So when you started to see, because that's what happens, is that questioning, that perfect questioning that dogs do, puppies, I don't believe in puppy behaviors. I believe that puppies ask very important questions and most humans fail on how to answer those questions appropriately. And when we don't answer appropriately, this creates mixed signals, miscommunication, which leads to behavioral issues. Yeah. And then they accelerate. So what I would have recommended in that situation is when you started to see that kind of questioning or assessment within mm -hmm. the dogs and the children yeah. to be able to identify it and really nip it in the bud. I right did. Then in there. I did. That's why I finally threw the towel but, in and said, okay, right. you need to learn. But so what happened was, is that the way in which you approached it initially clearly didn't get that message across in an appropriate way so yeah. that there was an understanding that that wasn't acceptable. It took going to this very harsh measure mm -hmm. of when they knew that you, you were, you, it, it was extreme for them. I would normally separate them yeah, and say to them, don't do that. No, no. And, and look them in the eyes and say, no, no biting. Now I know I'm speaking human, but I don't know how else to get the point across, yeah. but I would let them know I don't approve of that. Right. But it, it always happens when they're getting excited. You know, that's when the energy is stimulated. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, and this is precisely it. How do you show a dog in a language that they understand what's acceptable and what isn't? How do you respond so that they have a deep understanding and you're sending a clear message and you're not compromising your true essence of a leader? What is the worst thing that can happen to a dog? Well, it gets abused, I guess. Isol they get isolated. Oh, right. That's true because Angie must know this because sometimes when they're getting out of control, she puts them in their crates. Okay. And they don't like that. <laughs> yeah. And so how I would even shift that because isolation is the worst thing that can happen to a pack animal because it means one thing and one thing only. Death. Okay. You're done. Yeah. Gone. Mm -hmm. You have a like a next to no chance of survival being yeah. separated Sometimes from the pack. Sometimes they cry. Pack. They'll cry when they're in their 
they're like they're whimpering like right. really you don't love me anymore <laughs> <laughs> yeah right they're cast out of the pack yeah but because we want the crate to have positive association we don't want to use it as something that is uncomfortable or unpleasant but of course, in that moment where we have to show a consequence of action, not a punishment, not a correction, but we have to show them, if you choose to do this, this is what your outcome is going to be. Mm -hmm. And we have to do so in a way that connects into the hard drive so that it leaves a lasting imprint that they know that is not part of my repertoire. This is not part of my job. And it's not so what I would do, what I do, and it is a magical technique. And it's only magic because it hits home. It, 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 it takes it right. It takes them right to the bank. In a moment when there's an undesirable behavior brewing, approaching with elevated alpha eye contact. Okay. So you approach as you're coming in, taking care of business. You don't want to create a confrontation. You're not looking to fight. Mm -hmm. You're looking, and you're not looking to reinforce the behavior. Mm -hmm. But if you make direct eye contact, you know that it's personal. So you don't want to make that behavior personal. You're just coming in to show the consequence of that action. So you approach elevated eye contact your energy is aligned and neutral. You're not elevated angry. above the dog. Above, or above, the above, dog? Okay. above. Never below. Never. Only right on when you're creating a direct communication or an invitation. If you're coming in to distinguish a an an undesirable behavior, you come in with elevated eye contact because you're showing up as the leader. You're showing up as the alpha. You're t- you're you're taking charge. Okay. And so you come in very neutral, aligned, calm energy. You are unfazed. Your feathers are not ruffled. You are, you're, you're just unshakable, really. Mm -hmm. You take the dog by the collar with a direct approach, not soft, not angry or aggressive, but very neutral, matter of fact. So Mm -hmm. you come in, you take the dog and I love to use the bathroom. as a, it's a very neutral space. Mm -hmm. It's not their crate, Mm -hmm. but it's a dark closed environment. They go into the dark bathroom, close the door. You're on the other side of the door and you're looking for five seconds of complete quiet, no more and no less. Once you get the five seconds, you open the door, walk away and allow them to come out after you, okay? So what you've done is you've shown them in a language that they understand that when you make that choice, this is the outcome because that's how these animals' brains work. Mm -hmm. They're looking for cause and effect. What am I gonna, what's gonna happen when I do this? What what am I gonna get out of this behavior? And it's just like that. That's why you have to keep that very succinct five seconds of connection time for them to, when they're in that bathroom, they're going, oh my God, what, 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 what's happening? Am I going to come out alive? What, am I isolated? Am I, it, it completely signals, it, it goes right into their, the way that they're hardwired, which is if I'm not, if I don't get reunited with my pack very soon, I'm going to die. So they know don't do that again. Exactly. It's kind of a approach that I don't think many people would have really figured out 
naturally. No. And the problem is too, is that even if they did some kind of a cr- timeout in the crate or something of, of that nature or separating the dogs, oh, you might say, oh, throw the dog outside of the house. Mm-hmm. But they're not learning anything. Mm-hmm. They're not able to understand the, the repercussions of that behavior. Well, you know, it's interesting when we, we have obviously rattlesnakes like crazy out here and a lot of dogs die from rattlesnake bites. In fact, one of my buddy's dog got recently bitten and it's a damn good thing he made it, but he, it was close to dying and is a great big powerful bulldog, but he messed with the wrong creature. And, um, so they have rattlesnake schools here and I'm, and so Angie and Penny took the dogs to rattlesnake school. We tried to take Samson last year, but it sells out fast, you mm. know, because there's so many people that want their dogs rattlesnake trained. But I was just really curious how, like, I thought this was going to be like a six week school because like, how are you going to train a dog to know that that's a rattlesnake versus that one? And that one's dangerous. And, you know, so I thought, what are they going to do? And so when they came back, I said, well, tell me about rattlesnake school. What happened? How did the dogs perform? And they said, oh, they got it real fast. I said, how? They said they put a shock collar on them and they, let, they, brought, they had a real rattlesnake there, but it was uh, def- uh, they had its poison taken out of it, defanged, I guess, so that the, dog, the rattlesnake can't bite them. Oh, boy. But they let the dogs approach the rattlesnake, and before they can start trying to bite it, they shock them so that they connect the feeling of the shock to the look of the rattlesnake. And the girl said, oh, boy, you should see how fast Teddy and and, uh, Samson learn not to mess with rattlesnakes. Mm. So the girls bought a shock collar because one of the things that – there's a couple things Samson does, both of them. One of their hobbies is ripping plants out of the pots. and we. Penny's gotten really pissed off because like one of the plants I gave her for an anniversary gift eight years ago and it was mm. in a beautiful expensive vase mm. and they were roughhousing and they knocked it over oh. and, and just shattered it all over the floor and, and Penny was right pissed off because this is like the third time something like that's happened. So she got the shock collar and she they don't use the electrical, they just use the vibrator. Mm-hmm. And I said to Penny the other day, I said, I'm just curious, how much of a shock does that thing give? Oh. And so she, she gave it to me and she said, well, here, here. here's the controller. Here, so I zapped myself and it wasn't that much. And I said, well, that's, that's pretty mild. I'm surprised they responded. She goes, oh, well, it's adjustable here. So I turned it up <gasps> to full and boy, I got, I got zapped so hard that it flew out of my oh. hand and I jumped back and I went, holy shit, that's, oh, as, no. that's as strong as a spark plug gap, uh, wire on a car. I mean, in, you know, a spark plug wire is 35 to 50,000 volts, so it'll make you dance. But I'm like, wow, I would not want to do that to the dogs. No. But the point being is now all she's got to do is get the collar out mm, if teddy made the association made the connection yeah and the other day he was getting samson was getting rowdy and so penny's got the collar and she put it on him and so he went in the house and laid down he wouldn't even come outside uh, near her yeah so for me you know i don't believe in using those kinds of devices, like I go about it the organic way, right? Mm-hmm. But and you know how to do that, though. That's the difference. 
<laughs> yeah, but that's why I'm here to teach you how to do it. But yeah, it, and that's why you have a training program. Exactly. And it's not just the technique. It's the energy behind the technique. It's the energy behind the protocol. It's not just a symptom treated like in that moment. You know, a dog, again, it's like they re- they ask the questions and then it just takes that one time of receiving a reinforcement and that's what brings them back time and time again. So when we can basically like rewire the thinking and the reaction and the approach, we don't ever have to resort to using any kind of devices or what I call like communication barriers, right? Because we don't, he's making an association of something unpleasant Mm -hmm. um, and that's why he's avoiding it. It's not, he's not avoiding it or he's not doing the behavior because Mm -hmm. he understands that that's not an acceptable behavior or that is a, that's a, a, a spatial boundary that needs to be respected. And there are ways that we show a dog how to respect those spaces, um, but we have to do it in a way that they understand. Mm-hmm. Because then, right, he's not truly learning. He, It's only going to take Penny going, okay, look what I got. I'm going to use it if I have to, right? But you don't even want to have that be in, you know, in the mix. You don't want to have that be kind of like your crutch or something that you have to like rely on to get him to not do that behavior. You just want him organically, naturally to understand so that he's not pushing that boundary over and over again. Hi, everybody. Hope you're enjoying the show. I thought I'd take a minute to sing you a little song. Dr. Quiet, she is yin. Know how she loves to bring energy in. She teaches you how to rest so your energy is always at its best. Hey! And I want to tell you a little secret. You know how I support Dr. Quiet? I use Organifi Gold, and it does some magic to help you sleep deeper and restore better so you can get up and be a freedom fighter first thing in the morning and all through the day. And I got Drew Canoli, who created the product right here, right now, to tell us why it works so well. Drew, what's so unique about Organifi Gold except the fact that my kids won't stop asking for it? I love this song. Thank you. And I think if we were DJing this, we would do Rishi. Because Rishi, full spectrum, eight to one, beta glucans, knock you out. The queen of mushroom. Rishi is one of the most powerful things we can put in our body, especially at night. Helps restore, revitalize. Great for the liver. Yeah. So while we sleep, not only are we restoring and repairing the cells, but we're detoxing in the most effective way possible. Yes. And it doesn't have to taste bad. In fact, it could be something you crave. Yeah. And that's Organifi Gold. It tastes like Autumn had a baby with a marshmallow. Every time I have it, it just knocks me out. I've literally tracked it with my Whoop, my Aura Ring, yeah. and it adds another hour to an hour and a half of deep sleep. That's great. Ram and deep every single night. You know what's also really cool? Rishi is a wise man. Mm. It's not only the name of a mushroom, but a Rishi is a wise man. Oh, true story. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It's absolutely true. I'm not so, pulling your leg. And how much wisdom have you and I gained from night school? Dream a lot time. of wisdom. Yep. Yes. And you gain a lot when you can't sleep. You go, what am I doing wrong? <laughs> and how do I get it fixed up? So, hey, you know, one time when I was visiting you at your house, you made me a gold, Organifi Gold as a hot tea. And I'd never realized you could make it hot. It's the best way. And I was like blown away. I'm like, wow, this is incredibly good. It tastes like dessert. Mm-hmm. But it, unlike most sweet things, if you 
take sweet stuff at night, you can't sleep very well and it jacks you up. But this stuff was just so relaxing and so amazing. I was like, wow, this is incredible. And I know you're allergic to coconut. Yeah. Right. So, but what I like to do, and this is when I'm being bad, you see, there's a much bigger cannoli than the cannoli you see today. I I would eat ice cream and all kinds of comfort food because I'm from Michigan. Uh But one thing that put my cravings in check, I take a little cocoa whip. Yeah. I put it on top of this oh, golden nice. tea. Okay. It is the best drink yeah. at night you could ever have. It's amazing. Yeah. I'm intolerant. I'm not allergic. So I did That's try it, it. It just makes me feel stressed, but I found that, you know, if I don't overdo it, I'm good to go. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited to have everybody try Organifi Gold because we all need to sleep deep and pay attention to what our soul tells us while we dream so we can work together to mm. make this world a beautiful place for everybody and get our freedom back and get rid of the toxins in the government and other things we need to do. So it starts with good nutrition. Go to Organifi.com, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com and get your Organifi Gold. And while you're there, use the code C-H-E-K-20 in all caps to get your 20% discount because we want you on our freedom fighting team right now. Love you guys. Enjoy Organifi Gold. What do you do if, like, you know, we have a 14-acre property and, and, and you know, we could be anywhere out there. What, what do you do in a situation where you don't have a bathroom where you can go put them in for five seconds? Great question. So that's you approaching, carrying a leash. If, he, if he's off leash and you needed to do even like a, a, re, a redirection or a refocus or a mini isolation, in, in that behavior, so say like as soon as Teddy knocked Zoe down, right? And then he's like, oh, why are you on the floor? L- come on, get up. Or are we playing, right? He's trying to question like what's going on here. As soon as you started to see that he was, it was getting, ele- it was starting to accelerate, right? And the energy was getting more stimulated. Don't say a word. Stay in alignment very neutral and calm energy, approach him, no words, no eye contact, put him on the leash, bring him to you and keep moving on. Mm-hmm. And I'll watch him, feel him, sense him, settle into that because literally you're just bringing him back to that calm, grounded state. Mm-hmm. You're just refocusing him because he's not trying to do any harm. I bet a million dollars. There's no, no harm. No, it's, no, no. Yeah. He- he, he loves... He's they a both, baby. They both love the kids. Oh, completely. Yeah, they... But they need guidance in that situation. When when things... Anytime there's a... Oh, the, the energy starts to get overstimulated, that's when things can get out of hand and go south. And so you as the alpha, that's your job and responsibility to bring harness that energy and, and ground it and bring it back to that, refocus it on. Don't worry about her... Now focus on me mm-hmm. and our connection. And then that that diffuses the situation in two seconds flat. Yeah. And then when, once you sense him softening into that energy, yeah. then you reward him by letting him off the lead again. Yeah, that's great. Well, Sasha, we've covered quite a lot. Uh, I've had a great education. It's very interesting for me. Um, a lot of the things you're saying, I wouldn't have, I don't think I would have figured out on my own. Uh, like looking above the dog. My instinct is to look him right in the eyes when I'm letting him know who the boss is, um, which I do with human beings as well. (laughs) 
<laughs> but because uh, they can test your boundaries, boy. But you know what, Paul? Yeah. I want to say something yeah. too. I watched you at, a, at an event that we were both at very mm-hmm. recently. I bet you I know exactly what you're talking about. Yep. I watched you work with a disgruntled human. <laughs> a lost human. A lost human. Yeah. Yeah. And I was so moved and it 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 was it was just like oh yes it was just that is that is the way that is the way because I watched how you held this this powerful presence for her and for the collective because you weren't engage you weren't engaging with your eye contact you weren't engaging with your voice you were allowing things to just unfold and you weren't participating in childlike behavior yeah. you weren't giving you weren't allowing that person to see that they were getting something out of that way of being well there was also another level to that mm-hmm. she was trying to take over the whole class of course and she was trying to pull them into a game she was playing. Of course. And the game she was playing is a dangerous game. Yeah. And so I had You didn't play the game. <laughs> right. I didn't play the game and I wanted to make sure everybody in the class I had to keep interjecting just enough so that nobody else could start falling into the trap. And right. so I tried to um really hold the question in myself what is the unmet need she's trying to get here because if i address the behavior then i'm going to end up in the role of a mommy or a daddy and i don't want to be her daddy or mommy because then she'll have to go through puberty and reject me so what you saw me do is try to find out what the unmet need is while protecting everybody else who didn't have the awareness of what was really going on from getting trapped and i also perceived in that dynamic that you were also not playing the game you weren't engaging in the behavior you weren't giving life to it no that's exactly what she was after right and precisely yeah and she waited two days to pull the trick and angie warned me it was coming yeah Because, you know. Oh, I I saw it coming in the second I laid eyes on her. But yeah. Anyway, I hope this will be edited. edited no, out. no, it's part it's part of the process. I mean, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate your observing that. Um but at the same time, you know, I'm much more skilled with human beings because I work with them a lot more than I work with dogs. I mean, yeah. if I spent 38 years working with dogs, I'd probably have a few tricks up my sleeve. Um but yeah, thank you for noticing that. You know, um, those are si- tricky situations. Yeah. And I've had f- hundreds of them in classrooms. There's quite often somebody in a classroom that's des- desperate enough for attention to, to try to railroad the class or start some kind of shit. And um, I, I, I think... There's a dog in all of us. Mm. You know, there's a puppy dog. There's a wounded dog. Of course. Uh, um, and that's one of the things I got out of, out of our conversation is that a lot, of, a lot of what we need to know about dogs and understanding and caring for them really 
puts a mirror to us, mm. you know? Yes. That's really one of the main things I got from talking to you today is, is that we need to really understand what our environmental needs are. We really need to understand that there is a need for a real alpha male and an alpha female. We really need to understand that if any pack doesn't have a leader, it's lost. Mm. I mean, I could go down the list and say, with quite good accuracy, everything that you've just highlighted that we're doing wrong to dogs, we're doing wrong with each other. Mm. And and we're doing wrong politically, you know? And um, I, I had quite a good education. I, I really appreciate everything you shared today. Thank you. It was uh, very, very good. And um, one of my closing questions, I've just got a couple. What, what do you feel the role of the canine family is moving forward for humanity if, we're, if, if we all acknowledge the fact that we're in some pretty deep trouble right now worldwide? Uh, you know, the human species is dangerously out of touch with reality. It's it's destroying nature, it's destroying itself, it's destroying everything. Every piece of wildlife, every creature out there is under threat by human beings right now. Um, so, if you could envision how the canine relationship can help us restore balance, what might you perceive that looking like? In an ideal world you know, their presence in our lives basically acts as a mirror. And if we're, it, it's asking us to elevate, it's asking us to be present and conscious and to understand what our effects are. That it, It's like a, it's, it's a, a domino. It's like a, a, the snowball effect. If we're not, how we, how we, our relationships and how we align with ourselves and the world and our environment and our interpersonal relationships. I mean, it, it, it affects everything. And so being attuned, being, bringing awareness so that we can change it, you know, we can shift it, we can transform that. Um, and I know that sounds very broad. Um, you know, I, I love to be specific. I like, you know, but I, you know, the the action items of, of what that looks like, um, you know, I could list many, many of them. But mm-hmm. I, I really, you know, ideally we're not having shelters that are overrun with dogs. You know, we're not poisoning our dogs with food and pharmaceuticals and, I mean, food. I wouldn't even call that food. It's yeah. um, uh, Surrogate and, for food. Yeah. And, and all of the ways that we're just poisoning our animals, but it's, it's poisoning the relationship. It's poisoning our, our existence. And we just, we have to, we have to bring about some very different ways of, of relating. I I think what I would interpret you're saying, if I had to take a general stroke to encapsulate it, what I hear you saying is we have to get back to the principles of nature from which we all came because our relationships with the canines began in nature yeah. And we have taken each other out of nature. I mean, we've taken them. They haven't taken us, but we've taken them out yes. of nature. But we've taken ourselves out of nature. Exactly. And in so doing, we have lost our nature and taken their nature away 
in a mirror effect on what we've done to ourselves. So, you know, it, what, how I read into what you're saying is, is that we need to be aware that the destruction we're doing to ourselves and to nature, we're also doing to our dogs. And that the same thing that will restore harmony with our dog relate or canine relationships is exactly how we have to restore our nature with mother nature. Yeah. Or we're all going to be um, zombie robots getting shots every three months. And there's going to be a handful of billionaires and everybody else is going to be starving to death, eating Bill Gates crap. And we're all going to be monitored and drugged 24 seven by 5g systems. Yeah. And nobody's going to re ever remember what nature was. It's, it, you know, the, it's like a Mad Max movie or, mm. or, you know, I forgot the name of the movie where everybody ate Soylent Green and uh, it was a sci-fi movie I watched when I was a young kid. But it, I look at the world and I'm like, God, it, you know, it's like we're predicting everything in our movies that's, you know, like we're 25 years, 30 years ahead in our imagination of what right. we're actually doing to ourselves. Um, you you have... Um, a new online program? Yeah, that yes. Are you, has, is it available now? Um, it will be available in July. Tell us about the program and, and what it teaches. Yeah, so this is my first uh, online course. Um, it's a foundational course, but it's incredibly well-rounded. So it's the introduction into all of the many areas. It's basically, you know, the tip of the iceberg. What we talked about today is what uh, the course encapsulates. Um, but it, everything from how to embody the alpha role, how to set up the most successful and healthy environment to your dogs, how to speak the language, um, starting how to start your puppy off uh, in the perfect way. Um, so there's a lot of areas in which uh, the e-course covers. Um, and yeah, it's very exciting. Uh, and, and again, that will be out in July. Um, and then I also offer um, virtual programs. Um, I do, I, I fly all over the world. Uh, I have clients um, in many, many different countries. Um, and I work with them in home uh, for my transformational in-home educational program. Um, and then I have uh what I call my creme de la creme of offerings, which uh, takes place at my farm in Northwest Illinois. Um, it's a, a farm uh, board and educational program, and that's for puppies um, to adult dogs. Uh, it's it's ideal for starting out new puppies everywhere to dogs that suffer from really severe uh, anxiety and stress and behavioral issues. Um, so it, it really is, is designed for all dogs. And I would say it is designed for the human that has a strong desire and commitment to up-level and create the most extraordinary bond that they can with their dog. Sounds really good. Uh, do you know how much the online course is going to be and how long it runs? Like what do they, what's it cost and what, how does it what do they get? How does it unfold? Yeah. So um, it's a, an eight to 12 module program um, that has a membership component to it. Uh, and um, the course is going to be $1,000. That's pretty reasonable, especially when you realize how much it costs to not have a healthy relationship with your dog. No kidding. <laughs> how can people reach you, learn more about 
your services or find your services and things like that? Uh, my website is caninestateofmind.com, and that's spelled out C-A-N-I-N-E. Uh, and then I'm also on Instagram uh, with the same handle, Canine State of Mind. Okay, cool. I, I really enjoyed it. I honestly can say I got more out of it than I thought I would. I really sort of thought initially, okay, this is going to be a good podcast for people that have dogs. But closing the podcast... I feel this is an important podcast for everybody to hear because it talks a lot about the state that human beings are in and our misunderstandings of life, of nature, of each other. And it shows you how much of an impact we're having on all life forms around us, be they all the pets we have from snakes to birds to dogs to cats to whatever you've got. I think anybody that was really present with what you were sharing, especially if they're listening to my podcast, is smart enough to look into the world and say, okay, this makes a lot of sense and we've all got to start paying a lot more attention. Um, because the next species we might wipe out is our pets. Mm. We've already destroyed, you know, in the last 50 years, we've killed half the animal species in nature. Yeah. Right? So here we are working on, paradoxically, trying to make our pets human while destroying them. Right. You know, so I think one of the things that, that's important is to remember that each species has its own way of relating to nature and relating to its own species. And that as hard as it is, we have to learn how to relate to them at their level. Yeah. You know, like we don't expect our kids to balance checking checkbooks and drive cars and run executive corporations, but we often expect our dogs to read our minds and know everything and and we're pissed off when they don't, but they, they don't even have a concept for what our words mean. Right. You know? Yeah. So beautiful. And uh, I've actually, I was watching a show one time and it was about this and, and uh, somebody got upset uh, at the guest who was saying, look, dogs don't understand what you're saying. And, and the, uh, the, expert on the dogs i mean the other person said well how can you say that when i say this to my dog he does this and when i and they and the the expert said no what you what you're making a mistake you think that they understand english but what they're actually doing is they have a knowledge of the sounds you're making exactly. and the emotion you're giving exactly it's the all the association yes that was a very smart person yeah i, I love to hear that people are making those distinctions yeah i don't remember i just happened to see this out of the blood i might have been channel surfing one night and caught it and something, yeah. something made me watch for yeah. a minute and I went, okay, that's pretty important to know, yeah. you know, because we actually think the dogs understand us, you know. Oh, we we truly d hope that they do. It's yeah. it's a very strong desire, but it's just not. Hopefully, I mean, can you imagine if Samson <laughs> opened his mouth one day? You know, you're standing in the kitchen. You go, hi, Paul. I would be damn impressed. <laughs>
<laughs> I think you'd be mortified. I think you'd be freaked out. Like, what are you, a dog or some kind of <laughs> alien? <laughs> I, I'll tell you what. I, I would... <laughs> I would continue the conversation. <laughs> See where it went? Yeah. I'd say, what else do you yeah. know? <laughs> but mean, again, it wouldn't, it would like turn into something that wasn't a dog anymore. No, no, he wouldn't be a dog anymore no. for sure. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. He would be a, I'd have to come up with a new name. Yeah. I know for sure I'd make a lot of money when I put <laughs> videos on the internet. <laughs> yes. Oh, well. All right. Well, listen, thank you all for enjoying uh, Sasha, the dog shaman. And I think you found out why she is the dog shaman. I sure did. And um, thank you to the sponsors for your love and support and making such beautiful products and being truly sustainable companies. And thank you to all of you. I, I hope you guys enjoyed growing with me today. And uh, I hope you learned that it's not a wise idea to turn your dog collar up to maximum and test it out. <laughs> But it sure does teach you what you're doing to your dog. Uh, Penny cracked up because it flew out of my hand, flew across the room. It was like I'd been hit by a taser gun or something. That's what it is. Yes, it is. Yeah. And uh, lots of love, everybody. Um, hey, let's, if there's one thing I hope you got out of this conversation today, is we really have to really carefully look at our relationship with nature and each other. and. I hope you got that every family has to have a structure and that when we lose clear sense of direction, everybody in the family is in trouble. And that's why I always tell everyone, look, you need a dream to guide your life. You have to have goals. You have to have something to live for and make a reason to make choices. And what you heard from Sasha today is when we don't have it, it affects even our dogs. And so... It affects our kids, it affects our dogs, and it affects all of us. And I think all of us know what it looks like when you have a president that doesn't know what the hell's going on. So when your alpha male is not an alpha male, they're just a, a sales chimp for Pfizer, then you're in real trouble. <laughs> so God bless us all. May the real alpha male find his way to the top and... Uh, you know, I couldn't help but think the other day, wouldn't it be just lovely if Elon Musk uh, made it to presidency? Because at least we'd have somebody with a brain in his head. So uh, that's my closing comment. Forgive me if I've offended you. I love you all. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Living 4D with Paul Check and today's guest, Sasha Armstrong. You can find Sasha online on Instagram and TikTok at canine state of mind or check out her website caninestateofmind.com sasha is offering paul's listeners a special discount off her brand new course the embodied alpha masterclass which is highly recommended for anyone with canine companions visit tiny.cc forward slash dog shaman and enter the promo code paulcheck30 that's tiny.cc forward slash dog shaman and use the promo code p-a-u-l-c-h-e-k-3-0 or lowercase follow paul on instagram and tiktok at paul.check on twitter at paulcheck or on his youtube podcast channel youtube.com forward slash living 4d with paulcheck 
You can watch more on Paul's blog at paulchecksblog.com or visit the Czech Institute site at checkinstitute.com to find Paul's e-learning courses, advanced training programs, and to learn more about the Czech Academy. You can read the show notes and find links to the resources mentioned in this episode at checkinstitute.com forward slash podcast. And finally, if you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and a warm review at the top of the show page on Spotify or at the bottom of the show page if you are listening on Apple Podcasts.